Tip today with Fran Curry, Imro Radio Award Gold Winner. In association with slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. It doesn't cost you anything to call the show, and Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up this morning, the homeless crisis in Tipperary is very real indeed. Gardaí responding to that public meeting in Monroe. Apologies for singing Ooh Ah Up The Ra after reaching the Women's World Cup. We will hear from Noel uh, of the Wolf Tones about the genesis of that song, where it came from, what it means and all of that. All you need to know about vaginal rejuvenation, believe it or not, and the cursing stones that can be turned on your enemies. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 83 You can email tiptoday at tipfm. Dot com. We're almost delighted to hear from you. Quick look at uh, the headlines today. A rather startling one on the Irish Daily Mail. Male escorts hired for Irish dancing event. An original Riverdance cast member has alleged male prostitutes were hired during a major Irish dancing contest and that they stole jewellery and cash and damaged the hotel, but it was all covered up, seemingly. And it's a rather explosive letter to members of the Irish Dancing Governing Body, the CLRG. Uh, Ronan McCormick also said that all of the Irish Dancing judges implicated in the recent competition fixing scandal should be immediately suspended. So that controversy uh, trundles on. Uh, the Irish Examiner colleges to tackle campus sexual violence. Universities are to draft in full-time staff to tackle the issue of sexual violence and harassment on uh, college campuses. Um, shouts of joy erupted as more than 200 local people protesting outside the Kerry Hotel yesterday learned of a sudden government U-turn on a plan to move 135 Ukrainian refugees from what has uh, become their home in Killarney in County uh, I beg your pardon, in Killarney, to County Mayo, indeed. Now, the Irish Times, dominated by a photograph of the President meeting some of the families of those killed in that dreadful explosion in uh, County Donegal, and uh, in his smart suit and black tie, his blonde curls resting uh, with the wind, and uh, young uh, Hamish O'Flaherty. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard him yesterday. He was given a large wooden uh, crucifix to carry as he walked into his father's funeral, but he spoke uh, beautifully and it was just heartbreaking to to listen to. Also on the Times today, world hunger levels uh, reaching catastrophic proportions. Uh, The Irish Independent fast-track fiasco. Builders get payouts over planning delays. Have a listen to this because this is another waste of your money. On board Planola, has paid out more than €1 million in fines to developers due to a backlog in processing fast-track applications for large housing developments. So that's €1 taxpayers' money 
uh, being given to these developers just because there's a backlog in the planning office. Isn't it absolutely incredible? So that's a, just a, a peek at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to comment on any of that, 083 311 Now, over the past few days, we've been covering abuse, threats and intimidation in rural parts of Tipperary. Liam was in touch with us to share his views and he joins me now. Liam, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. And good to talk to you today. What do you make of all of this, Liam? Well, uh, I'm on to you about my uh, suggestion about the provincial assemblies. Mm. But I I, I included that in the write-up that I wrote in. Yes. Uh, The boys with the dogs going out to the farmer's fields. Yes, and intimidating people and the like. Yeah, well... if that was above in Dublin, to be uh, they'd be uh, to be addressed very quickly. Mm. But uh, unfortunately, we don't have the constant media attention that they have, and uh, uh, that's the problem: the centralisation of the system. That's what I was on about, right. and that's where that's where we're we're falling down. And you think if it got more coverage on national airwaves, is that what you're saying to me, Liam, that yes, maybe something yes, more yes. would be done about this? Yes. I don't want to get sidetracked now, Fran, mm. into this issue because I got sidetracked the last time into the abortion issue and I, I offended a lot of people, I think. Ah, well, but, well so yeah, it was your opinion and you were well entitled yes, to it. Tell, yes, me, yes. tell me about your thoughts on, on a system of provincial assemblies and the like. Will you explain that to well, me? Well, the founding fathers of the state were quite were, uh, uh, didn't want the British to rule over them. So they took on the uh, British government and the British army and they, they fought and they created what was a state for themselves. Mm. But the problem was we just shifted uh, people, away, they shifted out the British and put in the Irish into the same buildings. But the British had a, a worldwide empire at that time. Mm. And we, we had to... Uh, suffer the costs of the upkeep of these huge buildings that reflected an empire. We haven't. We need to create an Irish system for an Irish state. Mm. And uh, they're talking now about uh, United Ireland. It's all all the talkers in Dublin. It's like 1916, they stood down the volunteers down around here. And they, they took up the fight above Dublin yeah. and they got the glory and they took up the system there. Well, when you say they stood down, I mean, that was just a chaotic situation. It just was mismanagement and misinformation well, and the like. That, well, you can see that that's, that's permeating all society, if mm. you like. Yeah. Mismanagement. Yeah. But... Uh, they, they weren't capable. Well, they hadn't weapons down here, first of all, I suppose. But the point is, they should have left the whole country rise and get the glory uh, together yeah. collectively. And and what do you think? What about now, though? I mean, where should we go? Be going now uh, in well, terms uh, of reorganizing I, things? 
that's what I'm suggesting. Uh, there are two options in the provincial assemblies. You can elect them down here in, within our own province. Well, first of all, I'd give eight counties to each province. Okay. Because uh, they'd be balanced in. Okay. But... Uh, uh, down here, we could elect our own. But the other option could be we elect some kind of a governor, and he pick or uh, he she pick a team that would manage the province. That and and uh, friend, the um, opposition would be built into that team. Right, I'm with, I'm with you. But would you take democracy out of it altogether? I mean, would people vote for these? Well, we'd vote for the governor that would pick the team, or else we'd vote for candidates, but not uh, parties. We get rid of the parties. Yes. And uh, vote people that have an interest and are committed to working for the province. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, that's what we're the, the party system is only just... And would each, would each assembly or each province or whatever, would they have autonomy to run their own, like a federal system. Yes, but I, I'd have a centralised council in the Midlands, not in Dublin, in the Midlands, yeah. in Athlone somewhere. And they would uh, coordinate and cooperate on the different provinces. Right. You know, they would... Uh, my friend always said to me, oh, there's too much duplication in that. No, there'd be no need of duplication only in the central council. Okay. Because we, we don't need to look after Connacht or Linster or Ulster. So we look after our own. So you dismantle all the political parties and where would these people emerge from? Would they put themselves forward for 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 election to this well, role? Well, uh, the town... The, well, uh, first of all, we're over-politicised mm. and we have county councils and uh, we had the town councils Mm. But uh, the people this is, would go forward wouldn't be... You see, it's, uh, the political parties select the candidate and they bring him to you, uh, to Austin and say, you have to vote, would you vote for him? Yes. And uh, we didn't know, we didn't know, we didn't know who, who he is or what he is, but only because he's a friend of theirs, probably. So... That's what I'm saying, that that would have to be carefully... Now, right. you're, you're asking me, friend, how this would work. Mm. I am putting the idea to the people, and I hope the young people out there listening would take the idea and uh, elaborate right. on it. You know? and, and Liam, how would this work as part of the European Union? I mean, who would represent us internationally and the like? Because I presume you wouldn't be wanting a Taoiseach-type situation, would you? Not necessarily. We don't need a Taoiseach. But you do but, need somebody uh, to represent the country internationally. Yeah, we, we, why, why not? We can send a man from uh, Munster, Linster, only four people we need. Mm. You see, Ireland took on the image of Britain. And uh, we, we're trying to... The, the yeah. taxpayer is paying for that for ever since. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and we did, we did you know. take on their infrastructure and how they ran politics and how they That's ran local exactly. government and all of that. Yeah. Exactly, we yeah. did. We just uh, sat in, the, sat in mm. their chairs and, and we continued on. But of course, in, that, in, in fairness, that was the only blueprint we would have had at the time. But what you're saying is now is the time for change. Is that it, Liam? It is. 
said there was plenty of time to plan for change, but yeah. there wouldn't. You know yourself, you said to yourself the other day, turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that, that's where you're caught. You, that's why I, I'm trying to keep a low profile on the issue of that, because if the politicians hear about it, they'll, they'll take it on and put, do something else. Yeah. Would it not leave itself open for corruption, though, in some way, Liam, you know? Well, everything is open for corruption. Yeah. Even the present system is open to corruption. Yeah. And uh, it's up to the people involved to and the rules and regulations that we set up. Mm. It's not set up yet. You know, you, you have to write up a, maybe... A, another thing that's holding us down is the Constitution. Does that need to be looked at again, do you think? That should be looked at again because it's holding us back. Every time we have to do something, we have to go for the referendum. Mm. Well, that's that's only right because otherwise Uh, a a constitution can be changed willy-nilly without the the will of the people being involved, you know? Yeah, but uh, over in England they don't have a constitution and they're just changing as they go along. Right, but it's a it's a totally different system with with a monarchy there and the like. It is, yeah. It is, yeah. So that's what you're proposing, Liam. Um, do you think that's it has any hope of, of getting traction? Not well. I put I put in the second. I wrote two books on this issue. Right. And in the second book, I put in the front the front cover. To reach the indoctrinated mind is the most difficult journey of all. You know, if if people yeah. are indoctrinated yeah. to a system yeah. and a, a culture, you, it's it's like turning back ahead the buffaloes. It is indeed. It, but I yeah. really believe, Liam, and you know, looking around the world at what's happening, it is a time of change. It is a time that yeah. people are rethinking, I suppose, the old ways. Well, uh, only you uh, program is uh, giving attention to that. I, I, well, the rest of them are only talking about uh, issues that daily they can get in the newspaper. Yeah. yeah. You know. Well, we, we like to give a platform to people with different views and stuff. You do. You know, and and, yeah, and why not? Good. But uh, it's, it's a very interesting concept. We'll see what people think of it, Liam. It's always good to talk to you. And thank you for coming on with me, Liam. Thanks, Frank. Thank Thanks you. Thank much. you. Bye-bye thank to you, you now. Bye-bye. That's uh, Liam there. And he's looking at the notion of provincial provincial assemblies, I suppose, with some sort of a central council, maybe he might call it that, some sort of a central council. What do you think about that now? Whether it's feasible or not, because it would mean that we would sort of abandon the notion of the political party. But maybe you might believe that that's all sort of done and dusted at this point anyway. So again, what do you make of that? 83 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Imro Radio Award winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Oh, hold up now. Hold up now because there's no need to be abusing uh, Liam for coming on air and putting out an opinion. Liam's a bright guy comes on, he puts forward a theory, 
a theory. He's not saying that tomorrow we need to abandon everything and go along with these uh, ideas. He's putting out a theory. He's giving us uh, something that we can discuss. And what's, what's wrong with that? And there's a lot of truth in what he's saying is that we did inherit um, the, the British system. And, you know, some of it is questionable. To the le- to 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 say the very least, I mean the civil service, for example, um, certainly needs a total overhaul as far as I'm concerned. The upper and lower house notion. I mean, Enda Kenny himself came out and said that you know, was there a need for 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 a senate? Then we all voted and said we still wanted it, but you know, it certainly is worth uh, a discussion. The buildings, he 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 made that point as well, and again, it's a valid point. So if somebody has a, you know, if they come on here. And they make a comment or they put out a theory um, or a plan or something like that. They're entitled to do it without being called all sorts of names. Well, anyway, there you go. We spoke yesterday about the problem of kids on the sidelines of particularly GAA games, even though soccer came into it as well, and how parents and coaches need to change their thinking to ensure that we don't lose these young players. Well, Aidan Dorn uh, joins me now. Aidan, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you today? I'm very well indeed, Aidan, and thank you so much for coming on with me uh, this morning because you've been involved in GAA for many years. You were listening to the discussion uh, yesterday, and I'd love your reaction to it. Yeah, I was chairman. I was uh, proud to be chairman of our club in Roscoe for six years with juvenile section and enjoyed every minute of it. And a lot of kids came through our hands from John Lee uh, under sixes right up to the present day with Liam um, England and their coaches at senior level. Um... I suppose there's no point in talking about what happened last year or two years ago or ten years ago. How can we change it going forward? That's the plan, you know what I mean? There's no point in talking about the young lads sitting inside in last year or three weeks ago. Mm. That discussion has to happen and it has to happen at global level. But the GA brought in the goal games all those years ago that all the kids would get a game of hurling. Would and, you explain that to us, Aidan, because that came up in discussion yesterday. Would you just explain the theory behind that? Yeah, the, the, in fairness, over in Dr. Morris Park, during the summer months, all the clubs will go over there. The, the could be the sevens, could be the eights, could be the nines. And they'll all go over there, and there could be 10, 15, 20 clubs over there on a Saturday morning. And it's an absolutely brilliant morning for the kids. And they're all getting the game of hurling. They're all getting a touch of the ball. And that was the whole reason they brought in um, the goal games, because the under-12 championship all those years ago was 15 aside, and the young fella in the corner mightn't get a touch of the ball at all. Mm, yes. And that was the whole thing, to take out the competitors out of it. But the GA, to me, did a great thing, but they should have taken the competitors out under 12s as well, because the under 12s is from 21 to 21. It's a smaller field, 50 metres wide, um, it, and it, it, it's, it's supposed to be goal games. And, now, and it's not? Is that what you're saying to me? Largely it's not? It's, 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 it's not. It is, it isn't. They're on it. In fairness, there's an A, B, C, D... And there's, there's some clubs have plenty of numbers they can put in two teams in an A maybe in a D and they could have maybe a, a, a team in a C and a D. So there's there, there's catering for all ages if you know they're all all numbers like you know what I mean you know. But the problem is that is that if it's it, it's not the, it's not the kids it's it's the coaches that and in fairness to the coaches they want to develop their skills and they want to get up like the Liam Sheedy and Brian Cody's and all these lads and yes sometimes the they can go overboard and, and we're no angels. We all make mistakes. We're all, we're all volunteers. But at the end of the day, you have to remember the child and what is what the effect is going to have on a child at 16 and 18 years of age and 
into his life. Like, well, we, well that, we, we discovered yesterday what the effect is going to be, uh, Aidan. I mean, at very best, they might just get out of sport altogether. And at worst, this will affect their self-confidence, their self-esteem and possibly their mental health. Oh, very true, friend. Very true. Um, but but what's the, see, the, what is the answer? So, like you know, there's like there's people people texting in there um, yesterday and coming there, and but the GA themselves have to come out and make a statement and say, right, the under twelve champ. But you see, if you remember, the underages have changed now. It is now sevens, nines, elevens, thirteens, fifteens. Um, 17s and 19s. So they've changed all the age groups. Now there was a, a person texting there about, um, I think she was on about Robbie, about every child should play their own age group. Yes. That's, that's well that's well saying that. Um, but if you have a small club and you're, we'll just say it's under 13s and you've, and you've only 13 players and you have to bring up five or six players to make up that, to make up the numbers to play, that it, you can't blame that club. But the other clubs that have maybe 25 players under 13. They have plenty of numbers for the age group. So they don't have to bring up Right, but the, but, but the what, what happens Aidan when they're bringing up players just because they're better players and leaving out the older lads out of the, the team? Well, well you see, the, the whole the whole thing about that, Fran, um, if you're playing an under 14 or 16 championship and you're playing our final and our semi-final and Aidan Doran is sitting in uh, sitting corner forward and Frank Furry's is a far better hurler, but he's a year younger than me. You know, you have to, what do you do? You know, you look at her, you look at her tip minors this year, the great win. But was there lads there at the age that could have been playing? The coaches there said no because they wanted that. That was that's championship hurling. That's the that's the way it is at age level, you know. And 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 it's very hard. It's very hard for coaches to get it right, and it's very hard for for um, people to understand that. But the whole problem here is, it's, it's you have to remember at eleven years of age and twelve years of age, they're only developing their skills. They're only babies at the end of the day, like you know what I mean, you know. And you have to treat them as kids and look after them. And 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 remember. They, when they come up to the field, they're coming up to the field to enjoy themselves. Yes. That, they, like you have to remember, they could be coming out of school, getting bullied. They could be getting something could be happening at home. They're coming up to the field for an hour, an hour and a half for enjoyment. Yeah, and but, they but if they're, if they're sitting then for the entire game, or maybe getting two minutes at the end of a game, just out of some sort of a, a sop thrown to them, I mean, that's not doing them any good either. No, no. But friend, the, the, the GA have um, the. I'm, I'm not involved in it for a while, but, but when I was the under 12s, it was um, 14, 14 in a panel. There was 11, 11 aside, and you're, you're two or three subs. At half time, you had to make those changes. You had to bring them on. That was the rule. Right. right? But I don't but think I, that's happening, Aidan. Well, I'll say this now to you, Fran. We, we, years ago, we played in a game of hurling, and. Aidan Dorn was wearing number 10 he was taken off but Aidan Dorn came back on the field wearing her jersey. Okay. Right. Right. So that's going so on he, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't know if it's still going on today but it was going on it's, I saw it happen like, but sure. At the end of the day it's, 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 it's very hard on a child to, their mental health going home I'm, I'm useless or I'm not playing here um, why aren't they getting a game and all that. And the coaches have to remember they're only kids it's it's not an iron final it's not a county final and if every child but here's the thing if Frank Curry is a better hurler than Aidan Dorn well if Aidan Dorn was playing beside Frank Curry wouldn't when I learn something off you by playing with you and looking at you and you know me and you encourage me yeah. on the field if you, you know? give a chance to that kid to play yeah yeah exactly Frank yeah right. exactly yeah. 
you know, it's it's. It, I just think that it has to be a discussion from the GAA that right, do we get rid of the under? Uh, um, you see, it's under 13s now, and it's it's it, it, children are competitive, whether it's throwing marbles in the school or mm. whatever it is they're competitive. But the, the the whole thing here is that you have to look after the child. You have to be fair to the child. As in the um, if you're not going up there um, with the, with the, with the mentality that I'm going up there with these 20 kids or 15 kids and every one of them is going to be treated the very same way um, as a good lad as a weak lad you know now if you and, that, and what about Aidan and I don't know if you've seen this over the years but I mean what if you have a parent then who's the coach and you have a natural prejudice then I mean if, if their kid is available to play on the team as well you know well I I, I was I was coaching with uh, Tom O'Reilly there for years and we had we had our own two kids on the on the team but they, they were treated uh, as as equally as the other fella was treated. My son or Tom's son weren't treated any differently. In fact, as a matter of fact, I think we took them off first before anybody else, you know. And But you have to, when you come in the gates of a hurling field or a soccer field, you have to leave your parenthood outside the gate and treat every child the very same. Because in the, if you were standing on the sideline looking at the coach and, and he was treating your son like that, how would you like it? So, like, you have to be fair to every child, you know. Right, but from and what it, I heard yesterday, Aidan, that's not the case. I mean, that's not what ha- what's happening in in some instances uh, out there. Yeah, but but then here's the question: What is the answer? I I don't know, but you somebody know, with your experience, I'd love to know what you think the answer is. Well, I think that the, the competitiveness is always going to be there. I think the coaches that come in to look after a team, and in fairness, it's very hard at a local level to get coaches yes. in every yeah. club and every sport soccer, hurling, rugby very hard to get it very hard to get commitment like if you think of it, the training could be at 6 o'clock the coaches could be there at half 5 mm. finish work early rush up put out the bollards etc etc and train for an hour and a half and then clean up the field again they might get home till 8 o'clock half 8 and home their, their own family life but like that, if you're going to do it do it for the right reasons do right. it, do it to, to um, enhance these kids um, make him a better person, make him a better uh, hurler, footballer, soccer player, whatever it is. And, and, and the beauty about the GA is that you make so many friends, so you do. Of course. You know, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a brilliant organisation, um, fantastic. But I just think the GA themselves have to come out and sit down, right? Do we rejig the, the, the go game system up as far as under 12s or 13s? That it's not competitive, um, there's no medals, there's no cups, no nothing. And if there was, like, there's bits there running Dr. Morris Park, they're fantastic. But if there was if there was a league basis that uh, maybe that's a wrong word or wrong word to use. But if there was a, a games um, organised that Ross Square were going out to Mullinahone and Mullinahone were, uh, were um, going to Tumivara mm. and Calchardt mm. were going to Car- and have different games and different blitzes every weekend that everybody's going to different games and developing their skills and also the d- development squads they'll be starting off no shortly over the winter months to be absent in Dr. Morris Park and they'd be trained there could be 60 or 70 lads there um, at all age groups and uh, levels um, and unfortunately the, the, the coaches there the GDL officers and the people that are involved they have a hard job of, of, of cutting that maybe from 60 to 30 and, and, and those 30 kids that don't make it maybe they had an off day maybe they had a bad day yes. but I, I always thought that if there was more coaches asked from other clubs in, 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 in around Tipperary to give an hour, two hours 
on a Saturday and do a roster that Aidan and Fran is going to be going over to over the Torres there and we're going to be looking after uh, 20 kids that are selected by the by the, the um, J officers and there's 20 more going to going to Tumivara and you keep them all involved yeah but that's a very well, good idea so you'd have a different coach every so yeah, often with different vice a different vice great you know, idea you know. great idea and you see and that's what I'm saying it's very hard it's very hard for for for, for um for coaches that are there trying to develop these under 14 and 16s for county level and the coach to 30 so if they had if they have 70 well ask the clubs is there, and, and there's coaches out there would love to get involved because they they might think oh just I'm the next Brian Cordy or I'm the next mm-hmm. Sheedy. Mm-hmm. I can do this and let them let them get them involved bring them over and keep them on keep all those kids involved and don't let them go home because you're going to lose them to rugby you lose them to soccer you lose them to, and you might lose them to sport invite them to sport ever again and that's what concerns me about this for the GAA that if if, a, if parents come up with a sport that is more inclusive in some way um, they'll they'll just walk from the guy you know yeah, but friend, it's not just the GA. It's soccer. It's rugby. It's 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 just sport in general. It's not yeah. just the GA is getting like don't, don't let's not give the GA a bad name uh, about about this because it's across the board in every sport, um, you know. And it's 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 a conversation to have an open conversation. Yeah. How do how do we address this? And, and, and that's the thing. Well, Aidan, again, in your experience, what about parents on the sideline and parents getting involved in? Uh, I don't know, getting involved in decisions and all of that sort of thing. What's your experience of that? Do you mean on the sideline or, or actually coaching, Frank? Well, on the sideline, I mean, like, again, we heard stories yesterday of parents running in and giving out to children, even their own children at times. And, uh, you know, it, like, what, it, does that happen in your experience? Yeah, it, it happened when I was there, Fran, and it's absolutely disgrace to see a parent coming in and running down their own child's um, their self-esteem is gone, their confidence is gone, everything. And you would have seen that? Oh, yeah, definitely down through the years and going to different clubs and everything. And it's it's embarrassing for the club, it's embarrassing for their coaches, it's embarrassing for the child. So it is, you know. And it's 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 wrong. And I, I'm not defending the parent, but they they want their child to be the best. But unfortunately, if they take a step back or stay at home, that's what I say. Stay at home. Don't don't bother going. To, don't bother going to see your son or your daughter playing hurling or come or soccer. Stay at home if you're going to be like that. You know, if you're not going to encourage your child or or another child, don't go to the match. Stay at home. Yeah, but but that is very real. That that oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah. It's just yeah. we heard a lot of it yesterday, and I was wondering from somebody who was at the thick of it. Did you experience that? So it's yeah. uh, it's interesting. But yeah. friend, I, I as I said to Alice and Emma, did anybody come off from the GA? The powers that will be to talk about this. Did anybody come on and 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 text in defend it in some way? No, no. Well, you can't defend it because it's happening. You see, you know what I mean. But and, and as I said at the start, there's no point in talking what happened last week or last year or two years ago. Let's let's stop this thing that's going on with the kids and let's have a conversation and let's 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 educate these coaches that that a child mm-hmm. of 11 years of age, she mightn't be able to rise the ball yet, he mightn't be able to jab lift it, he might be able to solo run. But by the time he's 15 or 16, he could be the best lad at every skill in the hurling. Yeah, because I, could, I couldn't believe, as you know, I'm not sporty, Aidan, but I couldn't believe it when Timmy Hammersley told me yesterday that, you know, when he when he was young playing, he, he was weak. He wasn't, yeah. you know, he didn't show, I suppose, signs of the player that he became, which is very interesting. And I wonder how many kids we lose in some way because of that. 
Well, every child develops differently, and and I was looking at my own club and, and Ross Square out there in in, uh, in the county final, and to see there's four four, four or five of our um, under 19s on on the on the senior team that that we would have had grown up and to see them develop, and they're great young lads, great ambassador of club. The same with the the, the nineteens. All those young lads, they all started off. They might be in the best hurler at, at, at seven or eight or nine or ten, but they developed, and you kept working with them, kept working, encouraging, encouraging. And now we 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 we're, uh, we have kids there that are flying at fifteen and and seventeen and nineteen, and the seniors are, are flying as well, juniors are flying as well. But it's it's about in, inclusive. It's like this. It, it, we talk about the, we talk about the. Um, Juvenile, the seniors is, is the same. We like there, there might be a senior player or junior player mightn't be able to catch a ball in the air. He might be able to, but he has something to offer. Mm. Mm. You know, every person has something to offer on a field. What, what they might have that. speed, or they might have some yeah, other ability that yeah, other people exactly. don't. Exactly, yeah. you know what I mean. But every child develops differently at different stages. You know, um, it's the same in school. Some kids might be absolutely brilliant at maths, and some kids might be useless at maths. Which is the teacher doesn't stop teaching them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He, he keeps going, he keeps going at him, and eventually, hopefully, he gets it. You know, um, I, I just think that uh, there has to be an open debate and a conversation, not shouting, not roaring, not, oh, you did this and you did that. And everybody, every coach out there has to look at themselves. Even when I was a coach, I didn't get everything right. Mm. I, I, you know what I mean? I did my best, but I didn't get everything right. And you have to be man enough to put your hand up and say, yeah, I didn't get everything right. But at the end of the day, I was there for the right reason. The same every coach or, or, or uh, in every club should be there for the right reasons. And if you're if you're that, if you're a very driven individual that wants to win at all costs, will then go up to the, the, the competitors of the, the, the 14s or the 16s or the juniors or get involved in your senior. You know what I mean? That, see, that's the whole thing here. Like, you have to remember, under 12s is... is it was developed and designed that more kids will get more touch of the ball, will get more game time, and more of that. And if that's not happening across the country, well, then it's 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 a failure. All right. But the, but the, the the goal games at under eight down is absolutely fantastic. If no one has ever had goal games, drop over Doc Morris Park next year during the summer and see the kids there. And do they care if they win or lose? Not a damn. Right. They're enjoying themselves, you know. From, and and you, you know? think that should be imported into the. The, the the other clubs and you know are at least that ethos in some ways that it Aiden. Well, it is it is in the clubs, Fran. It's 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 you know I mean the goal games is there. Right, but the, the, but like according to what I heard yesterday, that ethos isn't there. You know. Well, you can bring up all the rules you want, Fran, in every in, in every sport, you know. But in the day, it's up to the club to 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 make sure that they're happening. Yeah, yeah. And if they're not happening, then it's up to the senior club, the executive committee, that if 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 club is not doing X, Y, and Z, well, then it's up to the senior club because the juvenile club or the the committee is only a subcommittee of the senior club, okay. right? And the senior club make the they make the calls. So they do. They make the decisions, and 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 every club should have a, a committee, a juvenile committee, and there should be they should have their meetings. And if a parent has a gripe, they should be able to go and talk to the chairman of the club or the or the child officer, or whoever it is, and say, look, I'm not happy with the way my son has been treated or daughter, and can you look into it, please? And in in, in, in a nice way, mm. there's no need shouting or calling in. And 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 if if Aidan is not doing the right thing, well then, Frank comes to me and says, Aidan, look. Or Johnny did a game last week. 
can you address that, please? And don't let it happen again. And 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 there's no need for shouting and roaring or giving out or and and, and do the right thing by the child. You know. All right, Aidan. I appreciate your time today. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Good morning Thanks, to you. Bye-bye. 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 Um, that's Aidan Doran speaking to us this morning on that conversation that began uh, yesterday um, following that article that was in the Irish Times um, where the mother spoke out about how her son was uh, treated. Now, we had a couple of parents on to us um, telling us horror stories indeed about how their children were treated but they felt they couldn't come on and talk to us because there might be repercussions uh, from the club uh, making reference to Liam who was my first guest um, uh, Pat was on to say that man's ideas on the political system should be looked at because the present system is not working we're all turkeys says Pat on 083 uh, Frank, can I say that uh, all I hear are coaches, the managers, egos, etc. Please remember, these coaches are volunteers and they're in every sport. They give up their time. They rush from work to train kids uh, during the week and at weekends. Parents are great to state coaches but will not get involved themselves. Please remember, they are volunteers and in rural areas, it's extremely hard to get help. I would encourage parents to get involved and I'm not a coach myself of any sports as one of our listeners. Um, loads in on this again. Uh, just one I'll, I'll, I'll bring to you and this is making that point that I spoke to Liam about as well. Some coaches speak to their own children in a worse manner than uh, other players and drive their children to a point that they are physically or mentally not able for it. And uh, this needs to be remembered as well. All right, we'll take a break. Back in a moment. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Good God. Uh, a listener says, I witnessed a mother go onto a pitch on an under nine boys match. She caught the helmet by the guard and shouted into his face, you're useless. She then proceeded to tell the ref to take him off because he's useless. This was her son. Um, that little boy hegged through the rest of the match. My heart broke for him. We came up against them again a year later and the same boy hooked every child, jibed them off the pitch and used the most horrible language. One of our parents went to the other team's coach and was told to F off. So there you have it, Fran. Only at three, three double one, double three, double one. Now this week we've had uh, lots of talk about abuse threat and intimidation in rural parts of Tipperary and has led to a lot of concerns regarding policing around the county and facilities that are available to the public. Councillor Richie Malloy is a member of the Joint Policing Committee and joins me now. Richie, good morning to you. And good morning to your friend. A lot of concern has come up over this uh, in the last while, Richie. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And I attended the meeting there in the Mile Rovers there last week. It yeah. was an unbelievable time surely there was four or five hundred people in in the mile rovers you know and i suppose the anger and the frustration you know you couldn't but feel it and see it on the night that there is a kind of a genuine concern out of that you know law and order seems to be slipping away from us and my big um this like the giant placing committee is meeting on friday and we're going to have to make an almighty push for more community guarantee 
because the resources really just aren't there. And, you know, I would compliment, I know he's coming on there later on, Superintendent um, Lee and Sergeant Kieran O'Regan. You know, they came out on the night to address the concerns of the people. But at the end of the day, the numbers just aren't there, in my opinion. You know, you take, if the Camel Garda district has 40 members, but on any one shift, you have six members on duty. It's, it's far too small for the area that they're covering. And there was a lot of concern on the night, I suppose, that reports were being made, maybe not being followed up, because I suppose I'd say the number of incidents in the Tamil district is increasing all the time. And that, and what I was very disappointed with the other night was um, Deputy McIntyre raised the issue in the doll. And it's hard to credit this, but it was midnight before his question was taken. And the Minister for Education was filling in for the Minister for Justice. You know, I thought that showed a very poor lack of respect to the Minister for Justice herself. But, the, but the, there's, there's the thing, Richie, that has emerged from the conversations mm. is that, mm. you know, is there an appetite for doing anything about this? Because, as you say, the disrespect to that item in the Doyle. I mean, a 12 o'clock yeah. question for God's sake. I mean, it was ridiculous. And, and w- another part of that reply from the Minister was that she was going on and on about the new Garda station for Palmel. Now, I'm the new Garda station for Clanmel has been said so, so often by every time a minister for justice mm. comes to town, they visit the Garda station yeah. and they say, yes, this isn't fit for a purpose and we'll be promising you a new one. But the Garda station by itself, whether it's new or old, isn't going to do anything. Yeah, we it, need it's, the members on the yeah. it's the members on the ground. And really, like at the JPC on Friday, the, the element that I'll be following, I'm sure most of the public representatives will be doing the same, is that you have to see the Gardaí on the streets walking around. Because that's what reassures the people. It, it, like, while going around in the squad car and the van is all very well, but you can't be seeing the member. You know, if you think back only a couple of, you know, going back over the years, you nearly always had a guard standing at the main guard yeah. in Calmet. Yeah. And I suppose it creates a bit of reassurance. Now, it's a long time since I've seen that, you know, genuinely. And it's no fault of the local management, and I presume they're under pressure from the people above them to kind of say things are okay, we have enough resources. But I think it's up to us as the public reps to fight the battle on that but side. Would we not be sort of, you know, excused for thinking that the Joint Policing Committee is ineffective and is a talking shop, really, at the end of the day? Because look look at the issues that we have. I mean, Matty spoke to me last week, and he spoke about open drug dealing uh, on O'Connell Street in Clan Melritchie. Yeah, and that's the point. I mean, I'm in the town town centre every day of the week, and I can see it myself. You know, people walking around looking kind of spaced out. And you see, while we can pretend that it's not there, and that's often the difficulty at meetings of the JPC and even the county council. It's not that we want to blacken the town's image or anything like that, but I suppose we have to face up to reality at the same time. We can't keep our eyes shut and say it's not really happening here when it's right in front of us. What and what have we gained? What have we gained from the Joint Policing Committee over the years? I mean, what what positives? Uh, would in, be in my in my opinion, and I'm on the JPC quite a number of years. At the end of the day, the JPC really concentrates on policies and procedures. They don't really like discussing talking about particular incidents that might have occurred since the previous meeting. There was a far better setup in the local authority when you maybe had the local council meet the county. Um, to be in camera, to be no press present or whatever, mm. and it gave members the chance maybe to say, well, such a thing is happening on such a street, 
mm. and it was all done, I suppose, confidentially. The JPC is, is like a public forum, so I suppose obviously people are very careful of what they say, and it's more. So is it just to, a talking shop, Richie? Well, I, I'm inclined to think it is. Because now, while you do have the chief superintendent, and I suppose he does have the say on where resources go within the county, from my point of view, it would be better if we discussed, you know, let you raise particular incidents, not just talk about things very much in general. I, I did raise it at the JPC some time ago now about the incidents in the rugby club here in town and the, you know, the assault and so on. Mm. Now, on JJ Killian. You know, he gave a kind of very impassioned speech at the Mile Rovers about what's going on up there. And like he said, that's going on over 20 years. You have this talk of multi-agency approaches, this, that and the other. But very little actually happened at the end of the day. And that that's where the frustration, I think, came the other night. That people, I suppose, that their patience is long, long exhausted. and. Mm. Even taken back, you remember Fran, a couple of years ago, there was the incident there in Ellen Park where a woman sadly died in a... Oh, I remember well, such a tragedy, yes. That was a huge, and at that time then, because of that tragedy, a lot of resources were put into community policing, you know, the Gardaí became involved in local estates, arranging soccer tournaments and stuff like that. But that that hasn't been happening now since well before COVID. COVID then really put the... Of course. And look, look, look at the small number of Gardaí that have come out over the last while. Um, it's nowhere near the projections of the, the numbers that we need, Richie, you know? I found the Minister's speech uh, the other night at midnight, you know, the Minister for Education that actually gave the reply, yeah. a whole load of waffles. You know, figures and figures and figures. And if you were listening to it, you'd really think everything was really being looked after. Mm. You know, when we can see with our own eyes that, you know, we really are lacking in resources and like I think it's up to really all the, the public reps and especially the Oireachtas members to push very hard that that's addressed. Mm. You know, otherwise that meeting the other night would have been in vain and that leads to more. But the first thing to do, Richie, is to acknowledge that we have a huge problem and I'm not even sure that we've acknowledged that yet. Look, it's it's like the town centre. We can pretend that everything is going fine and does the odd shop opening up but we have to face the facts at the end of the day, you know, we lost our garments basically there last week. May's Cafe, sadly, there near near the cinema is closing this week. Well, I didn't so know that. I'm terribly sorry to hear and that. And yeah. I'm sorry maybe to be saying it out, yeah. but I, I spoke to the owner there the other day. And, you know, basically, you know, they, they had a very good business there. Beautiful but business, yeah. the, the energy costs, they say, are just going through the roof and they really just cannot sustain it. And that for that whole area there now, take when May's Cafe comes out, but, you know, it's another kind of a blow to the town centre, in my opinion. And, you know, we can't pretend that it's not happening. Right. So, and and uh, are you telling me that the social issues play into this in some way because it doesn't make the town as attractive as it should be? Is that fair to say, Richie? It definitely doesn't. I mean, if you bring even visitors to town and say you're going down for the traditional cup of coffee and you find you can't find a coffee shop, now, I know new places have opened up yeah. over the last mm. year or so, but still, in the, in the main town centre, it's very important that people will feel safe coming into town. And by and large, I don't want to paint the picture that things are happening every day, but I really do think having a guard presence around the main street, actually walking up and down, would reassure 
the public and you know I've spoken to the superintendent and that looks like that that's going to happen as best they can Well we'll be speaking to Superintendent Willie Leahy uh, later on in the programme and we'll put those things to him as well Richie just for for public record. Uh, Thanks for your time this morning Richie, thank you Good good morning to you, Councillor Richie Malloy speaking to us there, news and information's on the way Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Farm. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Carmina Mahagopat, and uh, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Now, a listener on to say, what a disgrace the way the Irish uh, soccer girls were treated. Uh, they made history in soccer, and the political correct uh, ones are spoiling it all again. They say, we have free speech in Ireland. My arse we have, Fran. It's a song, big deal. Congrats to the girls. Now, speaking of which, a video circulated, of course, as you know at this point, on social media showing the victorious Irish women's soccer team celebrating in their Hampden Park uh, dressing room after the, gay, uh, after the game, singing ooh-ah up the run. Now, the line originates from a Wolf Tone song, uh, the Celtic Symphony. Sky Sports News presenter Rob Wooten also came under fire on Twitter for asking soccer hero uh, Chloe Mustaki for an apology. Here's a little bit of that. We talk about the win. Need to ask you about the statement that's just come out from the FAI in which they've apologised for the player singing a song that references the IRA. Um, Would you like to apologise? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Look, we're all really sorry here um, in Dublin. Obviously, massive lapse in judgment on our end. Um, You know, lots going on when the final whistle went and we absolutely didn't mean to cause any hurt on our end. So we we do really apologise for that, absolutely. How, How embarrassed are the players by this video? Yeah, uh, quite embarrassed. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot going on in the change rooms um, uh, in such a such a major moment. So, um, lots of different songs, you know, being put on left, right, and centre. So, look, we are incredibly embarrassed in this moment in time. Um, didn't mean any hurt on our end. So, we do really apologise for that. Yeah, it, I guess it, it raises the question: Does it highlight the need for education on issues like this? Is that something you'd be for? I think so. I think, you know, um, we need to learn in these moments um, to, to be better and to do better. Um, you know, we've all been brought up um, knowing a lot about, you know, Irish history. So, um, you know, we just need to be better in moments like this. Uh, and uh, we recognise that absolutely on our end. Chloe Mustaki there speaking to uh, Rob Walton, um, the man who wrote uh, the Celtic Symphony, uh, one of the uh, Wolf Tones, singer, banjo player, songwriter with the Wolf Tones, Brian Warfield is with me now. Good morning to you, Brian. Uh, good morning indeed. How are you all, Chip? God, we're all well here, Brian. What what did you make of all of this uh, hoo-ha again, Brian? Well, I tell you, I was very annoyed. I can tell you, how, how the hell can you do that to young girls who mm. have just done something wonderful? Uh, and to harass them and to bully them into apologising after the great win they had in uh, in Hampden Park. What a terrible disaster it was. I think the FAI and I think the people um, of Sky 
should apologise uh, to these young girls for the terrible way they treated them. Uh, for it's so after all, it's only a song. They 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 weren't going out to kill anybody. They're going out to win against the, their next uh, opponents. They done well against all their opponents up to now. They have the spirit of the Fighting Irish, and. Um, we're all very proud of them right across the country and abroad. I don't and, uh, I don't think, Brian, there's an understanding of the song. Will you explain the song, what exactly it is? I mean, it was a, an imaginary trip to Glasgow after after a Celtic game. Is that is that Does that kind of sum it up? <laughs> well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how it came about. I Back in the 80s, about 82 or 83, um, one of the, uh, Tommy Grant, he was uh, one of the directors of Celtic at the time, and he said, uh, Brian, you're going to write us a song for uh, our 100th anniversary coming up 1988. I said, oh, no, you're giving me a big task here. So I I was mulling it over from that. Uh, you know, I had bits and pieces where I just wasn't totally happy with the song. And it was on the burner there for about two years. And I wanted to fully tell the story of, you know, Glasgow and and the Glasgow Irish and the diaspora in, the con- in, in Glasgow. It's which have uh, it's almost another extension of Ireland. Mm. They have the whole. They love Irish history. They love the. They they supported Ireland in every in every fight that took place over the years, over the centuries, going back to uh, the Young Irelanders in um, when Thomas Darcy McGee visited Glasgow, trying to recruit uh, people for the rising uh, the the Young Ireland Rising in 1848. So it, it goes back to 1798. And, of course, the famine brought a, a huge um, crowd of people to Glasgow seeking seeking a shelter, seeking a, a way to get out of the country because there was no food left at Yes, and they were largely Catholic people, of course, going over there. Well, of course, they were yes. largely. Yeah. And, mm. and they were not accepted in any way. They were discriminated mm. against, just as they were in the north of Ireland. And, um, you know, so when I was writing the song, I was walking through the streets of Glasgow and I see this uh, graffiti on the wall and it, it says, up the cells, up the cells, up the cells. And then it says, oh, we're magic, magic, up Celtic and all that kind of stuff. And underneath it was, ooh, ah, up the ra, say, ooh, ah, up the ra. Now, okay, so I I felt, yeah, yeah, this is how the Glasgow Irish feel. And uh, they have supported uh, Ireland in every one of their... Uh, fights for freedom and, and uh, for sovereignty. And so uh, I said, yeah, th- this explains to me what Glasgow is. Glasgow is an extension of Ireland. It, it supports a football team that they rallied around uh, since its foundation in 1988, or in 1888. And so, yeah, this, this to me concluded how the uh, Glasgow Irish should be portrayed. So I went about writing the sound and the, the melodies and everything else like that, which I did. There's like three melodies in it. Mm-hmm. It became instantly became a very, very highly successful song. And now it's huge. It was the number one in France. Um, not by the Wolf Tones, by somebody singing mm-hmm. in, in French or something. But I, it was the number one there. It's a huge hit all over the world. My God, I, I couldn't tell you how popular it is in many, many other jurisdictions in Europe, in places as far as Germany, Czechoslovakia, or the Czech Republic, as we were there lately, and uh, many other places across the world. It's, it's just a song that's loved. 
it instantly gets people going. But it's not a song about the IRA. Yeah, and, and it's an anthem in some ways. I mean, you hear, you hear kids singing this everywhere that I've been. I heard them singing it. But, I mean, they wouldn't even realise that there's even that connotation to it or, you know, in the least. Or, yeah, or the history of the how the song was written, even. Yeah, but, like, it's it's not about the Irish. Yes, I know. It's not about the IRA. Yes. Yeah. It's about the Irish in Glasgow. And it's, you know, um, the, the story in the song is like... A, the devil wants to go to the jungle. And I was in the jungle in Glasgow, Celtic Park, many yeah. times. They're yeah. gone. But the jungle was where all the real supporters, the cheapest yeah. part of the, the mm. park to go to. But uh, it's where all the real supporters were. And I love going to the jungle. So the story is that the, the sailor man from Glasgow is wandering around the world and he meets with the devil. And, and the devil wants him to take him to the jungle. So... He, of course, he's not going to take him to Celtic Park. We don't want the devil at Celtic Park. There's enough devils around us. So anyhow, uh, the, the story goes that um, he takes him to every jungle in the world except the Celtic Park, to the real jungle of Celtic Park. And that's that's basically it's a story about just, just, you, just we don't want the devil in Celtic Park. We're good people. We th- we like this, you know, we like our football and blah blah. Are you, are you tired of defending the song at this point? Because it emerges every so often. I mean, you know, uh, Deputy David Cullinan that uh, that time in his victory speech, he said, "Ooh, uh, up the run." Uh, the failure uh, on Pubble recently in Belfast—a huge, um, a huge amount of hassle from unionists over this as well, taking serious umbrage. It, it 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 sort of raises its head every so often, doesn't it? Yeah, because, you know, there's a tradition uh, amongst uh, the English governments in Ireland and the unionist people who are their garrison that um, that they, they fear Irish song. Irish song is very powerful. Mm, yeah. You know, you go back um, go back to years, and it was uh, during the 1860s, you know, the time of the, the time of the, the um, Anna Larkin and O'Brien, when uh, the song God Save Ireland yep. came out, it was illegal. And you could be imprisoned for holding a copy of that song. Now, if you go back, I in my book that I wrote recently, I go, go back to the ages where Irish song was not accepted by English uh, people in Ireland. They, on many occasions, hung our, ba- our bards, our harpers. Mm. And when Cromwell was sending them all to Connacht, he wouldn't allow the harps to go with them. So they feared Irish music because it carried the history and story. If you can wipe out the history of a people, you wipe out the people. And as Winston Churchill, he said he can't understand why the Irish people won't become English. Good God. Um, you know, and, then, and then this guy in Sky wants, to, wants uh, uh, the Irish people to... to, to uh, Learn their history, and and, he should be learning and that's why I thought Chloe dealt. I I thought Chloe dealt with him extremely well. I mean, she apologised, but you could hear the disdain in her voice. You know, like to your man. Yeah, I don't think it's something she liked to do, yeah. and she should have never been put in that place. Uh, is the FAI, FAI, yes. in that place? Because we're really scared by the fact that the Sky, remember, is one of their sponsors. Mm. Now we don't need Sky. Murdoch is. Rich enough, mm. but I mean, if Sky are going to sponsor the team, they don't have to bow their head and lick their asses. You know, they, they we're strong enough to uh, own our own history, to own our Irishness, 
and to be proud of it. And to harass them young girls on a great achievement, bully them into apologising all over the place. I couldn't believe it. I'm reading in the Daily News in, 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 uh, in, in uh, New York. How come, you know, that uh, Sky have it all over the world now that the Irish people apologise? They're apologists. You know, soon people won't be able to mention IRA. Get rid of all those bloody historians. You can't mention IRA in a book. Can you mention so, IRA? So does that mean that we have to dilute the history of the country as well? Well, that's what they're pushing for, and they've been pushing that for a long time. I mean, even our own government at late were trying to do that. Oh, you don't need your, you don't need to know your history. Don't be teaching kids history. The famine wasn't too bad. I heard Ruth Dudley Edward, which is now a unionist. Yeah. I heard on the radio there say, oh, things weren't that bad in Ireland. They were that bad. And, you know, um, I've just wrote a song called Ships of Shame, and it tells the story of, uh, you know, the... Uh, the, the food being shipped away from Ireland. Yes. And uh, in hundreds of thousands of tons per day, while Irish people were left with no food. We're, we're there was now, no need for a famine in Ireland because there, there was no food. Yeah. Plenty of food. Yeah. And Father Matthew was offered money by uh, Robert Bernard Forbes, who was a philanthropist in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in uh, Boston. And he was offered money, and Father Matthew wrote back to him and said, please, please don't send us money. Money is no good in Ireland. We can't buy food. There's no food here to buy. Well, Robert Bennett Forbes brought over a shipload of food with over 100,000 uh, 100, tons. Uh, no, that was, uh, that was later on. 411 ships as a result of his mission to Ireland brought over 100,000 tons of food to Ireland from America. So, you know, when our own imperial masters were bringing away the food to England to feed the bloody empire, leaving Ireland starving, the horrors that the, uh, Captain Bennett Ford saw in Cork was unbelievable. I'm sure they were terrible all over the country, but that was just in the city of Cork. Mm -hmm. And uh, he couldn't believe the sights he saw. So it was important that we teach these English people a lesson in Irish history. And that we get the FAI to apologise to these young girls for forcing them into a situation they should never have been in. All right, Brian, it's always good to talk to you. And uh, thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. Thank you. Yeah, well, good. you know, up tip there. Up, up tip. We love you all down there. Don't forget that. <laughs> all right, Brian, take it easy. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Brian Warfield of the Wolf Tones uh, songwriter. And uh, singer, of course, and banjo player with uh, the uh, iconic Wolf Tones, 1800-938-007. All right, let us go to uh, uh, the phone lines because we have somebody uh, coming on to talk to us about this. And I think it's Fran. Fran, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. You were listening to Brian Warfield there and the yes. whole discussion around the girls singing uh, that chant in the dressing room. How do you feel about it, Fran? Um, I feel that they should chant whatever type of music or whatever type of song that they felt like they had deserved it. And surely in this day and age, 21st century, do we have to bow down and apologise for being Irish, Fran? It's getting to that stage in this country today, I think. Do you think so? I do, yeah. And I don't like it. What, what did you make of the uh, Sky News um, interview there with your man, uh, Rob Walton? Well, demanding an apology. Highly, and uh, He should be highly ashamed of himself. Mm. If that's how he gets these kicks, God love him. 
is he trying to make a name for himself on the back of the apology or what? Yeah, and, and talk, talking about a need for education in history, <laughs> you know, that's... Uh... He, this is what he reckons. Does he yeah. not realise that the Irish are the most highly educated people in the world? Yeah. Like, I mean, who is he to come on and do that to those girls? To belittle them. Because of the sponsorship, I suppose they were between a rock and a hard place about this, you know? Yeah, still not fair, though. Shouldn't be done, Fran. I don't see anybody else apologising for their nationality. Why should the Irish have to do it? Yeah. And uh, do you think it has put a shadow over what was a fantastic victory, a really fantastic victory? Well, what were those girls feeling today? They went out and they'd done their very best and they got through and then all of a shot with just a couple of words, some guy brought him down to an inch five level. Terrible. Yeah, I mean, there's. I don't think there's anybody in the world who would genuinely believe that those girls were trying to promote the IRA. You Absolutely know. I mean, not, friend. They, they no. were singing a chant that young yeah. people sing in after nightclubs everywhere around. Every, us, you know. Yeah, in every town, every every city, and they all love that type of music. It doesn't mean anything political to any of them. It's just that it's that type of song that somebody can catch on to very, very quickly and just sing away with. Yeah, and one of our listeners make a very interesting point is that if we were to scrutinise the lyrics of every single song, Kate was on to us, if we were to scrutinise the lyrics of every single song, somebody somewhere would be offended. I mean, even the National Anthem, if you if you look at the translation into into English, it's Soldiers Are We Now. It's a pretty bloodthirsty yeah. uh, big piece is. of work, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, yeah. And do we have to apologise for that? Like, that is our history. Yeah, do we need to like, stop Like, there is nothing we can do to undo our history. Yeah. You know, and we shouldn't have to apologise for it. I don't hear any other person of any nationality apologising for where they were born. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. What, what do you think the end of this will be? Will this will this just go away? I mean, I don't... I can't see on the screen in front of me here anybody saying that the girls, you know, should have apologised. No, they should not have apologised. But you see, they were put under pressure. It wasn't fair camera in her face or a microphone in her face and something saying, well, are you going to apologise? What could the girl do? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I, lo- I loved uh, Chloe's attitude to, to your man, though. While she did yes, apologise yes. and she did get over it, I mean, you could hear in her voice, really, yes, she was yes. saying, you're you're a so-and-so, really, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah. All she right. was just very nice and polite. She was, she but... left him away lightly. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes, yes, I suppose. <laughs> I don't think you would have left him away as lightly um, as that, Fran, would you? Well, there would have been two, there'd be two words, and one would start with S, and the other one would end with S, and we can support <laughs> you together, and that would be how polite I'd be, Fran. <laughs> All right, Fran, you look <laughs> after yourself, and thanks, Doug. Thank you, and uh, bye-bye to you. That's uh, Fran there, uh, 1800-938-007. Uh, no matter what excuses the Wolf Tones are apologists for the IRA, uh, up the ra is a chant that cheers on the despicably the the despicable depravity of the provost and uh, saying that the youngsters don't really know what they're chanting is nonsense. They do. I I beg to differ with you on that. I really believe that those girls were 
it was an anthem, you know, it was a sing-along. I mean, they changed it from time to time to Ooh Ah Paul McGran also. I mean, it was an anthem. It's a bit of crack, you know. Um, Fran, I'm of the opinion that the FAI are rather disappointed that this group of young, talented, sporting girls have achieved so much with scarce resources. It will probably mean that the board members will have less for themselves. Uh, regards Sky Sports, they should ask Rangers players to apologise on a weekly basis. That comes in from Pat in Ross Grey. Well, there's an element of truth in that, Pat, because I used to uh, do entertainment for Celtic years ago. I used to play at the Celtic rallies there. And, um, you know, as you walk around Glasgow, or in one case, we ended up staying in a Rangers hotel and talking about offensive language and hatred and awfulness and all of that. Uh, anyway, I'll tell you what, we'll take a break and I will package together all of your, your, your correspondence and I'll bring it to you in just a while. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie And uh, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Huge amount of uh, text and WhatsApp coming in about the soccer girls there and we will get back to that in just a little while. Now last Thursday night, as you're well aware at this point, there was a public meeting in Monroe where people took the opportunity to share their stories of threats, trespass and intimidation. Um, The president of the night was Superintendent uh, Willie Lee, who's with me in studio now along with a crime prevention officer for Tipperary Tom, Sergeant Tom O'Dwyer. You're all very welcome and thank you very much indeed for coming into it. Um, Willie, can I start with you, first of all? You were there on on the night. What did you make of what you heard? There was a large crowd. Good morning, friend, first of all. Good Thanks morning, for having us in. Uh, there was an, a large crowd, or a huge crowd was there, and um, people were very emotive, uh, as would be expected. Um, a lot of people told stories about what they had witnessed, what how people that they'd interacted with, uh, people trespassing on their lands, suspicious cars, and their response to the Gardaí then. And uh, um, I spoke then in, in response to, to a lot of the issues. I tried to address some of the issues, and then I suppose I spoke where we were going to go forward, forward in relation to it. I'm not here to say this morning that, that trespassing on anyone's land is correct. I'm not here to say that anyone committing any crime against any person is correct. But... Uh, my concern through all it, we have to deal with the issue that's there. That's first and foremost, okay? And, and we have dealt with serious issues in the Clamell district and even throughout the county down through the years. A uh, number of years ago, uh, we had serious issues going on for three or four years back in the mid-2000s that we dealt with, and thankfully Clamell is a safer place since then. And I suppose this is an, the issue that we have to deal with. Um, I have a concern that uh, it, it uh, with the, the level of hysteria that's going out there, a number of people rang me after the meeting and texted me today after in relation to concerns for elderly people that arising from what's everything that's been discussed at the moment, uh, people are afraid in their own homes, elderly people. 
that was my concern from day one. Uh, we can't sweep, sweep this under the carpet, the issue, for, first and foremost, but we have to be very careful that we don't frighten the individuals that have never been subjected of crime, that have been, never seen a suspicious vehicle, that don't know what's going on, and we are now frightening those people so much to the extent that we're getting calls in the last number of days, elderly people asking us to come out, look at their land and look at their houses, what way they can secure them better. So it's a, it's a tin line at the end of the day. At the end of the day but hundreds you. of people did turn up there, voicing very real concerns. With voicing so, very real you know. concerns about trespassing, and I'm not saying it's not happen, happening. Yeah. Okay, they, they raised concerns about if they rang the station, how was it dealt with? Yes. Uh, there was a particular, you, you, it was on one of your radio uh, programmes last week where a particular uh, injured party spoke about a number of crimes that was p- uh, committed against the injured party. I made it my business to speak to a lot of people after, after the meeting. Uh, did we provide the correct service in some occasions? Most definitely not. Most definitely not. Uh, did we uh, provide a service and do work that injured party or the victim wasn't aware of? Most certainly. And what, I did. what do you mean by that now? Follow-up. 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 We do a lot of good work, and I suppose one of our Achilles heel from time to time is that we do a lot of good work, but we never go back to the victim. Well, even though we're victim orientation centred at the moment, which is a big improvement, but we are there. There are some victims aren't getting an update as regards exactly what we did. We can't solve every crime, but most certainly we should try. Okay, and if we can't bring it to a conclusion, we should be uh, be able to go back to the victim and say, "We went as far as we can. We couldn't progress this any further." This is what we did. And I think the majority of people understand. And what about resources, Willie? I mean, are resources as scarce as what people Well, I heard, I heard the radio this morning where they said that we've only six on here. R- Richie Malloy said that to well, us. Yeah. I, heard, I just heard it on, on mm. in a news clip. Mm. We have 11 working this morning in the district. I have a district of in excess of thirty-five to 38,000 people. It incorporates Carrick and Shore, Mullinahone, Kilsheelan and Feddert and Clonmel. Okay. Uh, suppose order uh, in, in the order of the busiest Clamel most certainly closely followed by Carrick and Shore uh, I have more resources now than I have we're on a, a, what's called a four roster system at the moment and you all know about the roster issue that's going yeah. out in the gas we were previously on a five roster system but I suppose it um, uh, no disrespect to the issue here but uh, uh, to just patrol a particular area isn't the only isn't the only work that we have to do during a day we have courts we have prisoners mm. arrested for crime investigation of crime we might have to do escorts we might have to do checkpoints we might have to go to other courts I'll give you an example in the month of August how busy Clamell is in the month of August is a vacation sitting for the courts so there's only a special court every Tuesday after dinner for three, at 3 o'clock in Clamell and that's where if you have to charge somebody or bring somebody to court as in custody that's the court did you bring him to, to, to so that's four days in the month of August we were in excess of 16 courts in the month of August so we travelled to Nace we travelled to Wexford we travelled to Kerry and travelled to Cork to different courts that's the volume of what we're, what and, we're doing. and this is personnel that could be patrolling or could be well, doing well, other work is that it? may have been detailed for patrolling that morning yes. but we, we friend, I suppose our job isn't laid out for us. We go in with the best intentions to do something this morning and we deal with the, what happened next right. scenario. We're living in the live environment. So I could have two members detailed for, say, three checkpoints in a location or a patrol in a location. There could be a sudden death, there could be a domestic incident, there could be a theft, there should be a crime, there could be a, a prisoner yeah. arriving out that has to be properly processed. And I suppose when I spoke the other night out, out at the meeting, I have to speak factually. Mm. I have to deal with fact. It's an evidence-based uh, process that we deal with. Uh, we can all say, sure, this fellow's doing that and that fellow's doing that. We have to investigate it. We have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, not 
balance of probabilities. We have to prove that Fran Curry or Willie Leahy did A, B and C, okay? So it's time consuming, but I'm not saying that mm. with all that that's going on, we shouldn't have people out in the community. And, and a couple of the other things that came up, phone calls not being answered properly and maybe not being logged properly yeah. as well, complaints. Well, what, uh, what, what about that? I suppose it's, it's, it, with all the, the issues that have went on with, with phone calls in this organisation is probably a, a, a dangerous subject to discuss, but what I did... Well, first of all, I'll say last Thursday night was a learning experience for me, and I think, I think I'm placing Clamel in a, thirty years, okay, and I've given my heart and soul to Clamel in those thirty years, and I expect my members to do to, to, to work. But I suppose every day is a school day, as somebody said, and the, the one thing that came out of that was that can we deal with those calls better? And most certainly we can, okay. And I'm after drafting. Uh, we have a system in place since last Friday morning in relation to that. The difficulty is is that when you ring nine nine nine, you go straight to a call centre, okay, in Cork, okay. It's called CAD, okay. It's a, it's a command centre, okay. So the nine 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 call goes into them, and they dispatch the member. So as that call comes in, it's been typed and it's been logged. So you, there'll be never a call missed in that or they shouldn't be. Okay. Mm. So coming out from the, the meeting the other night, uh, it, it was suggested in very forceful terms that you ring up the station, uh, you're not getting a service, there's no guards coming out, they're being told that the car is here, the car is there. Uh, so one lady spoke about the fact that she was involved in an incident and the member wouldn't take the reg number of the car. Okay, and no response. Okay, So we have a system in place now that we're trying to mirror the CAD that when somebody comes into the station... It will be recorded, okay, and it'll be actioned. That'll be reviewed every morning, and sh- nothing should right. be falling through the cracks. Now, I'm not saying uh, that there is stuff falling through the tra- cracks. I'm not saying there's X amount falling through the cracks. This was said at the meeting the other night, and I have put a system in place as a, as a right. result of that. But I will say, but if people call Clonmel Garda Station, yes. per se, you don't have a twenty four seven. No, we have, we have. You no, do. No, have. there's a twenty four twenty four seven member in the station. We have a Garda staff member at the front of the desk during daytime hours and at nighttime hours it's, it's a guard that's, de- that's dealing with that so it could be the guard staff member or the guard that could be dealing with the phone calls during the day at nighttime it's solely guards okay so what I'm trying to do with this new system is that I'm trying to ensure that every call that comes in that it's logged and it's actioned okay now I will say Fran uh, the amount of people that said that they rang in about calls when I look back over it they're either not recorded or some people didn't ring in. Okay, and, and one thing that did come out of it the other night, and I don't want this lost, is that we're investigating a number of crimes out there, and there's a vehicle want, sought in relation to one particular crime. And I met uh, with uh, commission members earlier in the week, and, uh, and arising from the meeting the other night, there was sightings of a similar type vehicle, vehicle and uh, nobody rang in about that vehicle. Okay, and you're sure of that? I'm, I'm sure of that. Yeah. Okay, and I, 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 I'm sure of that. Okay. And I'm sure of it from the meeting that I had with the committee. Yes. Okay? And uh, it's a bit like, um, I, and what I, I want to encourage is that if we have to work together, if there is a sighting that you're not happy with, if somebody is acting suspiciously, if uh, there's somebody on the road, a vehicle or an individual, or somebody is trespassing, don't wait and see will friend next door or Tom next door ring in, ring in yourself. It's a bit like if the electricity goes off and your next door neighbour is ringing and you're saying did you ring ESB about the electricity going off don't wait for your neighbour next door to go, ring go and do it go, go, go and do it and, and, and task us or challenge us or whatever word you want to use by answering that call and dealing with that call I cannot have a care no matter how many resources I have in this district I cannot have a care on every road on every on every crossroad on every street in the, in, mm. in the district but 
uh, this issue is here. We have to deal with it. We're putting, we have an operation. Can I ask you about Operation Thor? Because in the past, that was a huge success. I mean, I, I drive very late at night and I came across lads and, and, and women guards as well on, on crossroads and in odd places here and there and I thought it was really, really effective. Operation Tower was launched there the week before last if I'm correct by our assistant commissioner uh, there two weeks ago and it's, it's running actually we, we're, we've commenced the winter, winter phase in the division uh, rising out of the meeting last week. We we don't just wait a friend for something to happen there, there's a continuous rolling schedule of, of checkpoints and patrols every month Reevaluate right. every month. Okay, so what we're doing is we're, with the analysis, uh, analysts, we're trying to look to see hotspots for a better word. And I want to be quite clear: one crime is one crime too many to to a victim. I, I, I wasn't out there speaking the other night as a superintendent. I never that never uh, experienced crime. Crime visited out my family, and it's not a pretty, 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 pretty sight. It takes a long, long time for people to get over. Yes. And so I'm not sitting up there pontificating who never experienced it. I know what it's like and I know from an investigation point of view one crime is one crime too many so what we do is we look for trends and analysis and what we do then we try to structure our, our checkpoints and our patrols in those areas. At the moment our checkpoints right. and our patrols are focused on the greater area of Powerstown right. and Lisrone. but Fran I also have to be cognizant of the fact I have other Powerstown and Lisrone in my district as well that, that require policing as well. Yes, and that's, that's what we heard yeah, yeah, of various yeah, people that, 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 as well. Yes. The, the, the other thing too, would, would you answer this for me? Because it seems that we hear from listeners that the dogs on the streets know who these people are. The dogs on the streets know that there's drug dealing on O'Connell Street in Clanmel, all of this sort of thing. And what they're wondering is, why don't you go down and pick up these people? But Fran, I suppose... I go back to the evidence-based, okay? We have to deal with fact, okay? Yes. Right, we, we may suspect people that are involved in all these different type of things that you said. Uh, like, uh, the one thing that I think uh, has been portrayed in the last week is that we're doing nothing about it. And I want to... Some comments were very disingenuous to my members in the district, members that are working extremely hard. I have a number of members that are out uh, injury on duty. Those members are out injury on duty because they were dealing with serious incidents. And I, I did take issue with, with some of the comments that were passed as regards that they were disingenuous to, to my staff that they were, they were, they were doing... What, what in particular? Well, I suppose... I'm not going to go into it in detail, but there were, the people... Was were it someone Matthew McGrath's No, comments? no, no, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to say it. I'm saying at the meeting, uh, it, it was uh, the value of one type of an incident over the value of another type of incident, whether it was road traffic or whether it was crime. And as I said at the meeting the other night, try, attempt to tell the victim of a family of a fatal road traffic accident or, or a serious injury traffic accident right. that carrying out a speed check is not as important as preventing somebody right. so, going on So they were properties. saying to you, you'd be better instead of carrying out speed check or drink checks, it, it, you, it, you it, should it be out patrolling. But, but the, okay. what we must remember is that when we are out doing the speed check and when we are out doing the, the, the mandatory alcohol check, uh, testing checkpoint that's also a crime checkpoint yes. because if you're engaging with a criminal going through the checkpoint you want to deal with them now I suppose what I will say as well friend, we're, we're, we're speaking about uh, the drug issue in Clan Mail and uh, the extent of it I'm not condoning it for one minute but uh, the, the drug issue is nationwide and I spoke on your pro pro programme many many uh, months or years ago after Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan spoke about and he says that uh, drugs and the drug issue isn't just categorised with one type of people that we believe 
as a society are engaging in drugs. The professional is engaging in drugs as well. And every 10 spot or 20 spot or 20 years worth of cocaine or heroin that's purchased, that's feeding what? It's feeding organised criminals. Okay, but as regards Clanmill, we have a lot of success. We have a lot of seizures before the court. We can't, we operate in a democratic society that you have the right of innocent until you're proven guilty. So you cannot bring somebody in He's caught with what you call throw away the key and leave him or her inside the cell for a number of months or days. We operate in the district a pro-charge policy. So what I look at every day at my meetings is uh, my meeting. We had a meeting this morning at nine o'clock every morning. I I I can see at half seven in the morning what has happened in my district for the previous twenty-four hours. Okay, and I'll go through all the incidents and we'll action them or task them as as the case mm-hmm. may be. Okay, and. Um, if we have a serial offender, if we have somebody that we believe is going to commit more crime or has carried out more crime, we are operating from a pro-charge policy. They're into court. We object to bail if we can object to their bail. And we, uh, uh, if they get bail, we look for strict mm. conditions. Going back to the issue at heart here, the trespassing. The trespassing, and I said it the other night, and I suppose a lot of people wouldn't agree with me, but it's, it's fact. The injured party that owns the land has to make a complaint that trespassing on their lands was without their permission. Okay, and a lot of people don't want to do that. Right, and okay. trespassing is illegal. It's illegal in, in in some circumstances. Okay, like there's trespassing under the Public Order Act, and there's trespassing under the Wildlife Act. And the bottom line at the end of the day, if the Public Order Act, if mm. somebody is trespassing, and the injured party, who's the owner, believes that they're trespassing with the intent to commit an offence, that's an offence under the Public Order Act. But it's, you have to prove that. You have it? to prove that, and it's not arrestable. Okay, you prove it then by the injured party or the victim saying Willie Lee had no permission to be on my property and I believe right. so and such is going and then we take the prosecution But if people aren't doing that because they feel that they're afraid to do so, And they are they, yeah. they, they said that the other night and, and I accept that I yeah. accept that but the legislation is that we must have a complainant I cannot, because my members may not have witnessed Willie or Fran on, 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 the, on the property so right. we have to rely on the, the injured party who's the complainant to say you were on my property, you had no permission. Can I, can I put a couple of other things to you then? I just see yeah. it being reflected on the screen in front of me here as well. Largely, are we talking about the travelling community here, Willie? And uh, if, if we are, are they treated differently in some way? Fran, I am not going to categorise any community. I want to be quite clear, clear here. I am policing in excess of thirty-five to eighty to 38,000 people in the district. Each one of those people, whether they have previous convictions, as it was suggested the other night, or whether they have no previous conviction, have to be dealt with the same. We have a victim's charter. We have so many charters within the organisation, the way that we have to and, and should and will deal with people. Everybody has the right. And they're dealt with the same. The same. There's no, there's no, there's no... And if there is, I'm the first to call somebody to task. We have oversight bodies, GSOC and whatever other oversight, but we have to do the job professionally. So I am not going to categorise one group of people over the other, whether it's trespassing on lands or whether it's drug taking. Okay, and, and I think everybody has a preconception of, of uh, people that are, are taking drugs as the person that's sitting down in the laneway uh, off, off a main street in a town and they might be dishevelled, they might be unkept or whatever. The person in the suit, the professional, the person dressed like me, dressed like you, they're using it as well. And I, for a second, yes. aren't condoning it. And when you heard a public representative like Matty McGrath saying, and his office is off Irish Town, they're very near O'Connell Street, he said on a daily basis, 
he can see this. He can even see it outside of his office. Uh, drug dealing, drug taking. Well, I, I'm not going to go on that specific comment, but what I am going to say is that a bit like the trespassing on the land, if somebody has seen a suspicious activity, drug dealing or whatever, they can ring in, there's a confidential line there, there's the local line there and whatever, and I will be the first to expect my members to respond to it. And I suppose just on, I walk up the centre of town regularly, Fran, and I walk up regularly with my my plain clothes jacket on me just to see it what it's like. And I think we're doing a damning injustice to the town of Clamel when we say that people are afraid to walk up the centre of town due to youths out fighting on the streets and drugs being taken over. There are people dishevelled, there are people using drugs, there are people sleeping rough. That's there, but I think we're doing. We're, we can do a lot of harm to the town when we say that it's it's lawless, which is, has been said. Let's face it, and also that people can't walk the street and are afraid to come into towns because of it. I don't think and that it's affecting business and it's affecting town. businesses. And I'm not going to go there. That's a di- that's a different avenue. But what I'm saying is that it's imperative on us to police the town and police the town. We will. But uh, there's a lot of uh, th- th- there's negativity out there as regards how bad it is. I'm not for one second coming in here and saying I haven't got policing problems. Most certainly I am. That is the nature of the job I'm in. This is a job to me, it's nothing else to me. It's a job. My responsibility is to police the, the, the complete district of, mm. of the Clan Mail. And are you very short on resources, Willie? I am not very short on resources. I need more resources than Carrick and Shore. Carrick and Shore is... is yes, is, because uh, that's come up quite yeah, a well, bit Carrick here and Shore is under. Carrick I have a number Shore. of members out on long-term sick, as I've said, injury on duties. Okay, I have a number of members on restricted. And is that affecting policing in Carrick? I am supplementing Carrick and Shore with, poli- with, with, with members from from the district, from right. the district. But I will say, I have a sergeant and two Gardaí out in Feddert sub district, which I never had. I'd only one for years and years. I now have a sergeant and two Gardaí. I have a guard in Monlahone and I have a guard in Kilsheelan. So on the outer uh, outer uh, um, hinterlands, I have one sergeant and four Gardaí. But I could do with some more members in Carrick and Shore. But as I said this at the meeting, if the minister gave me two hundred members in the morning I wouldn't be able to put a member on every street and every village and every crossroad in, in the, um, the district okay. I, I, we, we have a certain amount of members working at any one time and we have to detail them accordingly and as I said to you I gave a flavour of what they do from, from day, day to day but uh, I want to confront this issue I want to mm. take on this issue and going forward Tom is going to speak about other aspects yes. but going forward I want people to report any suspicious activity, do not expect my next door neighbour to do it. Report it. You ring Clamel Garda Station or you, uh, and you say who you are, okay, and you ask who you're speaking to, okay, and suggested at the meeting the other night that you'll get a pulse ID straight away. You won't get a pulse ID straight away because that comes later on in the, in the, in the investigation. But anybody, if I go into a business and I'm entitled to ask anyone their name, and I expect my members, if if somebody rings in out of courtesy, hello, this is Willie Lee here, who am I speaking to? I expect my member to say, I'm Frank Curry, for Frank Curry or Tom DeWire, how can yes. I help you? Okay, so that's the first thing. The nature of the call, what, what, what it is, or the care, or whatever, and we need to respond to it. And then I should see that the morning after then, and we should be able to right. follow, follow up. Two, two, I, two quick things before I go to Tom. Um, are you better to ring 999 or Clamel Garda Station if you're in the district? 999 is an emergency line. And we must remember that if you go on with, uh, and I'm not going to say high priority and low priority or whatever, but 999 is envisaged as an emergency number. And the operators on the other line may advise you to say ring the local Garda Station because they're dealing with uh, maybe loss of life. They might be dealing with uh, 
um, extreme. I don't want to say extreme serious incidents, but, I, but, I but it's there for yes. a purpose. Okay. But uh, and and the local guard station number is zero five two six six. Sorry, zero five two six one seven seven six four zero. Fran, my email address in my office is clamel underscore ds at garda.ie. Okay, and I've said this at, the, at several meetings. If people have an issue and they feel that they need to sit down and talk to me about it, uh, or a sergeant or an inspector, I can't meet everybody. Uh, I would be advising send in an email if there's an ongoing issue and they feel that they're not right. getting their. You're response. open to that. I, I'm most definitely I'm open to it. I come from the school of thought. Tell me about the problem before it becomes a big problem. We'll try and deal with it. You know what I mean? That's the way. I, the way I, I, I police. We and I suppose if I go back to the COVID, we did we did a lot of positive issues. Uh, positive. We did a lot of positive work in COVID nineteen. We engaged with the community. We we we, sure. we, de- we delivered uh, items from doctors, uh, chemists, whatever to, to elderly people. We lost the text alert meetings, okay, because we couldn't go into halls. So I'm hoping in the next two weeks, we're, uh, all the text alert meetings, uh, that I'll get them together, uh, a chairperson, the secretary, two people from each, with myself and hopefully Tom will uh, appear. And I'm also ho- hoping to get uh, representatives from the likes of the IFA and the ICA into the room. People that are walking the roads exercising during the day, people that are driving the roads, uh, farmers, they're the eyes and ears. So if we can't be on the road every, right. every minute of the day... Can I get a, a, a final comment again before you... And, and uh, thank you for your patience, Tom. Final comment. Uh, Richie Malloy said he had little faith in the Joint Policing Committee, you said it was a talking shop. Do you, do you want to comment on that? I'm not going to comment on that, friend. I'm a policeman, not, a, uh, not anyone else. But I will say one thing. Uh, we have a community safety meeting every quarter in, in the old borough of, of Clamell or whatever. And obviously the Joint Policing Committee then the chief attends to that. And uh, I know from the community safety meeting's point of view, there is a lot discussed and uh, different organisations different uh, within the state that have responsibilities in different areas be it housing whatever uh, they will appear they'll give an overview to the councillors that are there in the day the, the issues will be raised as well as we, and, uh, as regards hotspots or whatever and we'll try and work on them in, in, in the following three months I did say at the last meeting that we had a number of weeks ago that if we can get agendas in maybe the week beforehand so that rather than me going down and saying I can't give the answer to that rather I am going down I am armed and I can say well this happened this is what, what we're doing. It's in statute. We have to have those meetings. It's a kind of more of a kind of an accountability meeting. We're going back and we're 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 um, re- reporting back to the police. Yes. And we will do. But I will say that I don't need meetings, and the councillors shouldn't need meetings to interact with me. Uh, it, a lot of a lot of them, I've, all of them, have my mobile num- number. Right. They know me. I'm working in the centre of town. I am receptive and open to anyone that I'm ringing me. And, and any, you, any time you prefer the that they'd call you. It, in that, it, it in has that been a common trend right. throughout my service here in, in Clamell. Tom, to look to the future, and I mean, you know, th- there is fear out there in some way. Tom, what's what's your advice to people, particularly in rural areas? There is, Fran. Yeah, and just before I get on to giving a few bits of advice, I suppose just to go back on, you know, uh, you said there that the dogs on the street know who's committing those crimes, and we hear this back in. All the time. Well, I didn't say that, Tom, but I was reflecting what you, people you are saying what to me. People yeah. are saying, you know, yeah. But we know who are doing them as well, Fran, by and large. And I suppose the prisons, the Irish prisons are full. full. There's people being released every day because we're putting more people into the prisons. And just to say locally, if anybody is in doubt that we're not doing our job, just take a trip down to the district court any day and see the amount of people we're prosecuting. Yeah, it's over. You can walk in there. So just I want to make that point. Crime in the division, friend, has come down year on year. We put a, a lot of initiatives in place under Operation Tar, and the burglary figures in the last 10 years have come down by about 60%. 
we used to have about 800 break-ins. Now we're down to about 250 or 260. So it's come way down. Yes. And that's work, I suppose, we're doing on the ground. But just to let people know the crime, even though there is local issues and this, you know, the, this is causing problems at the minute locally. But in general, the crime figures, the break-ins, the thefts have come way down. Our detection rates in Tipperary are probably one of the best in the country. So the guards in Tipperary are doing their job. They're out there, they're getting these people, they're prosecuting them, they're bringing them to court and they're putting them into prison. I just want to make that point first. But just to move on, Fran, in relation to, I suppose, the advice, and I suppose we're talking really about the trespassing now and mm. rules and people living out there. The first thing I would say to people is report everything to us. Report everything. Pick up the phone, ring either the guard station, the three nines, or if you don't want to, if you have some confidential information and you don't want to ring in the guard, you can ring our confidential line. It's one eight hundred triple six triple one. We're always looking for information in relation to drug dealing, stuff that's going on out there. So you can pick that up at any time and you'll be answered. So report everything. Because mm. if it's not reported to us, friend, we won't put our resources where they're needed. We need to know what's going on out in communities. Right. And so, that reporting and then, can be anonymous, Tom. It can be and, anonymous, Fran. Yes. Yeah, the yeah. reporting can be anonymous. So it's the Garda anonymous line, and people use that all the time yes. where they have information in relation to drug dealing and whatever. It's completely anonymous. The second thing is I would say to people, don't engage with those people. Ring us, let us deal with them, because we're the people that are trained. Right. To deal I'm, with I'm glad best. you're bringing this up, because a lot of people were saying we need to take this into our own hands at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's completely the wrong, and I can understand why people would say that, but that creates hysteria, and it could create a situation where somebody who is not capable of dealing with these people would go out and try and, for whatever reason... And it could lead to very serious consequences for either them or... And that's mm. the last thing we want. So don't engage. Don't engage with them. Ring us, we'll get out there. The next thing then, and Willie touched on it there, is over the winter period, we need to get all the community alert schemes going again around the place. Because a lot of the times it's the fear of crime is worse than the crime itself. So due to COVID, I suppose, community alerts have fallen by the wayside in a lot of places. So we're encouraging people now to reactivate our community alerts, get onto the local guards, get onto myself, have your meetings, we'll go out, we'll give you the appropriate advice and we'll take the feedback from you in your communities, what's going on and we'll put resources towards them. The other things I quickly found, I would tell people there's two new initiatives that have been launched and we'll be rolling those out over the winter. One is in relation to property marking. There's a new property marking um, scheme going to be rolled out nationwide where it'll give people um, free of charge the opportunity to mark all the properties with their air code. And the second thing then is we've recently launched a property app, a Garda property app. You can download it on your phone and you can record all your property, photograph your property, record all the make, model, serial numbers and anything to do with your property. And then if you are the victim of crime, you have that information readily available. So we'll come back for some other day, Fran, and we'll talk more in depth about those two initiatives. But it's what we want to do over the winter now, Fran, is one... If we thought in this time, 12 months, that all or most of the property in County Tipperary was marked with the air codes and signage up around the county to say property in this area is securely marked and traceable, you know, and the other thing then that people actually have a record and a photograph of their stuff, we would go a long way straight away because the property that's marked is not valuable to the criminal. Because he is the whole issue trying to sell it on. All right, before we go, Willie, yeah. I could just come back in another point. I think Thomas summed it up. I suppose James O'Neill chaired the meeting there from Property American uh, um, last Thursday night. Yes. And he did a very good job. And I know he's doing a lot of work in the background in relation to it as well. I suppose uh, stolen property is a bit like drugs. If we hadn't the receivers for the property and the users for the drugs, it would cut the supply. Okay. Uh, And I suppose 
the responsibility is on me to address this issue. I want to remove the hysteria from the community. I want to, as Tom said, the fear of crime is probably uh, at times as bad as the crime itself. Uh, I'm going to take on this challenge, but I will say that I expect the people themselves to, 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 to play their part. We've had a number of thefts from MPV in the districts in the last number of weeks, and there's one common trend going throughout the whole lot, unlocked vehicles. Yeah. Okay. It's a bit yeah. like the parent with we the, hear about it all the It's time, a bit like the parent with yeah. the young person using drugs. What's the parent responsibility there? That your property, your own responsibility, and then our responsibility to investigate and try and prevent it in the first place. So I would encourage uh, let's move forward, um, increase the reporting, look to who you're speaking to and challenge us with trying and and taking on this issue. All right, Superintendent Willie Leahy and Sergeant uh, Tom O'Dwyer, thank you both uh, this morning. News is on the way. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today. With Fran Curry, With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800 Now, for this week's health slot, Ali headed down to Marito 8020 for a chat about vaginal rejuvenation. Okay, Muriel, we're here at the new offices. It's beautiful here, Marito 8020. Uh, we're having a bit of a, a roundtable discussion, I suppose, on women's issues this morning. So just to start off, what are some of the main issues that women come to you about that maybe they might be too embarrassed or feel like it's too private to bring up with a GP or doctor? Oh, there's so many, Ali, and the girls here, I'll introduce them in a minute. We've just, we've had this conversation for the last hour. Some of it you'd laugh at and some of, you, some of it you would cry at, you know, so that's literally, but things like vaginal dryness, irritation, lack of libido, loss of con- confidence, um, put, being put out to pasture as a woman. There's like, that's five or six of a million, Ali. So yeah, I think the conversation needs to be had in relation to this, that we can actually give the information and show what support is there and what education is there. And how wide is the age demographic? Because often with issues like this, we would think of women maybe in their 50s or 60s, but we've moved away from that kind of thinking now, haven't we? I think it's all ages, but I think what we were chatting about today was nearly, I suppose, menopausal, perimenopausal, menopausal and postmenopausal. It's literally like, what's it there for? Am I allowed to use it anymore? Am I allowed to talk about it anymore? Mm. We've had the kids and we've done all that kind of thing. So what happens now? Like, are we supposed to just die away quietly? Or can we actually start having a life like we're supposed to have? Our 20s are gone, our 30s are gone. We were actually saying our 30s should be the perimenopausal years. So when the kids are reared, that we're actually good to go then. Listen, yeah. life is back. We can actually enjoy life. So yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's I think about 40 there thereabouts we really want to kind of the start of a new phase in your life shouldn't it well you're more confident aren't you you have more time hopefully you have more money you know you know how to deal with work men and all the different things so yeah i think it's it's time for life to start again that's what we want to talk about here 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to the two girls here. Yeah. Okay. So we've Dr. Manel here on my left hand side. So she's a consultant gynecologist and she's involved in the whole world of aesthetics since 2008, which is a long time in relation to where the aesthetic world has gone now. So she's a complete expert in this. And then Charlotte is here in my, on my right hand side. So we're literally like team A and B or team A and A um, that we have these conversations constantly. Dr. Manel, then if I could speak to you, when we think of maybe aesthetics and procedures, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but to kind of counterbalance or counteract some of these issues that women have, we tend to think just along the lines of maybe Botox or fillers, but what is available to women? Okay, so what we're talking about here in this conversation is medical aesthetics, okay? Similar to the medical aesthetics that we have for the face and body and hair, there's also medical aesthetics for the private areas for both men and women. And it involves injections um, of most commonly plasma or PRP platelet-rich plasma, which is a procedure, it's an office procedure, there's no surgery involved, where a blood sample is taken, centrifuged in the machine, and then we um, take the, the plasma there, which has all the good nutrients, all the good cells, it stimulates the growth wherever it's injected. So if you inject it in the hair, it stimulates your hair growth, you have naturally more um, luscious hair, more hair growth, more youthful hair. If you inject it on the face, it produces collagen and elastin and gets you that hydration and more youthful look. If it's injected into the dent, uh, dentist injected also around the, um, the, 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 for dental implants. And that can also stimulate bone growth before a teeth um, uh, implant. Um, there's also use in ophthalmology. There's also use around diabetics, diabetic ulcers. So this is a development around genital area. Okay, So it has for both men and women. And um, as, as we produce these, going back to the production of uh, plasma, it's available in all our, all our bodies. It's a normal constituent of our bl blood. Um, but it w on the process, when we extract this, there's some cells called fibroblasts, these, and then there's a cascade of events happening, for healing events, okay? And these are going to, whatever these, this plasma is injected, it's going to cause a healing response, okay? So if we're talking about vaginal atrophy, and it doesn't have to be, like Muriel said, um, menopause, it can also be women who've had chemotherapy, for instance, or a woman who had, who've been breastfeeding, had pregnancy and breastfeeding, and then felt dry, um, there, there's a reparative mechanism that happens after the injection of the, the plasma. Um, there's some, uh, there's stem cells that are summoned from different parts of the body into the injected area, which your body is going to perceive as an injury, and then it tries to, to heal that over. So it tries to heal um, the tissue there. It produces hundreds of um, growth factors. Uh, there's a few that we're particularly concerned about, especially the ones that produce the uh, endothelium and blood vessels and nerves and tissue and collagen so they are stimulated into the area that's injected and it causes the tissue to repair itself and heal so if we're doing it for for instance for dryness for mucosal atrophy because of the menopause or whatever or we're doing it for a sexual function it then repairs that process and produces more blood vessels and nerves and tissue so you would have injections directly into the area. I'm trying to find a nice way of going around. <laughs> like, is it directly in it the is, vagina? It is direct into the area, and that's why a gynecologist should be doing this. Wow. Yeah. Does it... Does it go up or is it around the outside? It depends on what you're having and what's right. your main complaint. There's a few areas that we're, we're, we're going to be dealing with. It depends, really. Um, it could be for, as, as I said, for mucosal um, improvement. Yeah. It could be also for arousal. It would be also for sexual function. It could be for... 
Um, yes. Go on, Muriel, <laughs> say what you want to say. Well, I was going to say, we were having this conversation on Friday. So, uh, and Manel said it in such a lovely way, but she said she wouldn't say it on radio. But it's orgasms. That's literally like... So it enhances her... orgasm, does yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. Right. And like Manel said, everybody should be having one every day. So it's literally... Who has the time, can... Muriel? <laughs> Would you have women coming specifically saying, I want to enhance my orgasm, so I'm looking to get these injections? Yes. yes really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same with men. It also treats erectile dysf- some erectile dysfunction. I must say, there's, there's a long con- consultation uh, involved. Um, it's not, um, you know, the, the, the area of sexual health is, is wide. So it may not be the only issue. Yeah. Um, it's certainly there's no harm in, in trying it, but it may not be the only issue. Um, for uh, obviously, for, for if, if if we're doing it for vaginal dryness and you know irritation and painful sex and all that, that's probably going to be of benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're we're going if if there is any psychological component or anything else or diabetes, um, you know, as a denervation and all that, it takes more time and it takes a different you know way of approach. Can I ask you, are Irish women when they come to you? Irish women aren't used to being very open and talking about sex openly and saying, I want a better orgasm. When you have women coming to you saying, like, are they very open about that or are they kind of embarrassed to ask you? Um, Well, as a gynecologist and having uh, all that, these years behind me, I do think they are very shy. Yeah, and I have worked around different countries. So they might come in... I would consider Irish women very shy in this point. Yeah, yeah. Why is it, Muriel? Why are we shy about it still? Well, you know, it's funny because we were just say, saying earlier on as well about the menopause and it should be start some, the start of something new. Well, we're like in Ireland as Catholic women and you're mm. supposed to put up and shut up, aren't you? And you get married and have your two pint, whatever it is, kids and everything is supposed, you're supposed to behave. But that's gone. I think we're coming out the other side of the new generation that are coming through. We're still behaving, Muriel. We are still behaving, but yeah, I think we want to behave now with more Mm. fun, to be honest, don't Mm. we? Charlotte, you need to come in here because... Yeah, Charlotte, I was going to ask you, you know, when you're with girlfriends, and I mean, all around here would be laughing and messing and would be very open, but, you know, when it comes to, to really talking about the medical side of it and what needs to be done and what we want done for ourselves, why are we a bit more reluctant to to be more open and, and forthright with it. I think we need to change the language around it even. Manel mentioned earlier private parts. Like, why are they private? Like, why is your vagina more private than your ear? If you had a problem with your ear, you would go and you'd go to a hearing specialist and you'd get it checked out. It's the same with any other part of your body. It's no different from your elbow, your knee or your foot. Mm. If there's an issue in the area, you need to get it seen to. So I think we have to start by changing the language and the narrative around it. Yeah. But also our own views. So we were talking earlier before you came along that... There's a big celebration around the start of your menstrual cycle. It's almost a celebration when you get your period because it's the start of something, your reproductive cycle. You're becoming a woman. You're becoming a woman, finally you're there, it's the thing you've looked forward to. But then menopause, it's like it's kind of low-key hush-hush because it's seen as the end of something. Mm. But actually it's not, it's the beginning of something new. And it can be the beginning of the best part of your life. Exactly. Because the stress and the hassle of kids and mortgage and worrying about finances, it's behind you. You're in your kind of 40s to 50s. It's the good part of your life. You know, it's where you need to start enjoying You're yourself. You're empowered. 
You're, you're empowered. empowered. You're at your, your, your peak of your career. You have, as you said, you may have more money. You're more centered around yourself. Your kids are grown. It's time for you. To me, I consider it a beginning of a new life. It's, uh, it's celebrated more, I think, in my view. It's not the end of femininity. It's a beginning of a total different phase of and your you've life. you've got more time, and I think, to rediscover yourself, you know, particularly the sexual side of yourself. You may not have had time in the last 20 years because you're busy with children. Mm -hmm. But now your children have gone and you've got all this time. It's yourself and your partner, whoever it may be at home, that you actually have time to sit and think, OK, what do we want going forward in this new phase of our life? Where do we start? How do we start? You know, you're starting from scratch almost because you're not the same people you were when you were very sexually active 20 years ago before the kids came along. You're two completely different people with different needs. So it's almost like starting again. Because there's some women who think maybe, you know, and like you said, that happens when you're young. And as you get older, then, you, you know, the appetite for that is kind of yeah, gone. Yeah, because you're busy with kids and bills yeah. and packing lunches and this, that and the other, you know. But I think when the kids leave home, you do have that time. It is nice to kind of step back and say, okay, how do we rediscover the fun? Like, how do, you know, how do we start? And I think it's, it's here, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Dr. Manel, if I could ask you more about these injections, mm -hmm. how often would you get them? Well, um, there, you don't need too many of them, okay? Right. So usually when my practice, I'd give one uh, after obviously consultation, making sure the patient understands, signs the consent, there's no contraindications there. And then she, uh, he or she gets the first one. And then at three months, I give them either a phone call or I call them back in the clinic to review and they may get the second one, okay? So initially, they'll find a response. It's like plasma in the face, exactly. Initially, you'll find some response and then the response may be less after a few weeks but then that's the time that your body's producing the, the the healthy skin the healthy tissue so that it peaks around three months okay okay and should take you for a year or two really yeah do you need anesthetic when you're getting them local right. i don't usually put uh, put them to sleep for this no if we if we talk about maybe is vaginal rejuvenation the wrong term for it? Are there no, other... I think you can call it vaginal rejuvenation, yeah, genital rejuvenation, yeah. Okay. Part of it is plasma, and then part of it is also hyaluronic acid, which, is, which can be two parts, also cross-linked and non-cross-linked. In other words, the one that causes the volume and the one that doesn't give volume gives hydration. And that's when the importance of hydrating is, mm. because it depends, it depends on what your needs are. Obviously, volumizing would be for people who want a more volume in the area. Yeah. Um, and hydration, you use the one, the, the hyaluronic acid that just gives you the hydration without giving you volume. And for men then who are coming, um, is, it, is it mostly erectile dysfunction or is it other issues? It, other issues as well, but mostly erectile dysfunction or inability to achieve or to maintain an erection and also loss of desire. Yeah. Okay, so men are also affected by loss of desire, but I think a lot of people may, might be under the impression that it's just women as they get older have that loss of desire, but men are also... I think there's also, yeah, men, men are also affected um, um, and men probably, there's also a need for a better aesthetic look as well for mm. both genders. That's another area that they, they come for. Do we have a very narrow view here in Ireland of, of cosmetic procedures and, and aesthetic procedures? I practice in the Middle East before and I, yeah, I, I do think the uptake in the Middle East is more than... Um, more than Ireland, the UK as well. There's more uptake. There's more variety. There's more clinics. There's more talk about things, and yeah. people are more open to do things and try new things. And obviously, um, I think we're getting there, but yeah. a bit slower. Because I, I a lot of judgment in Ireland. You know, do you think? You, yeah, I think if you're seen to be spending money on yourself, you have notions. 
You know, I think it's judgment. People are afraid of judgment. They're getting treatments done all the time, but they're not telling anyone. It's this kind of behind closed doors. Like Manel said in the UK, people are very open. They pop out on the lunch break and get Botox. You know, here it's like they're kind of sneaking around under cover of darkness. They don't want their neighbours to know. Middle East is so popular. Yeah. yeah. And these, like plasma, I started doing plasma in 2008. And we started doing all different types of plasma, different areas yeah. back then. And then everything that we, you know, that, you know, things are developing so fast in this industry. And we try to, you know, bring in everything that we, we hear and see, yeah. you know, as long as it's safe and regulated. Uh, but in Ireland, there is um, a reluctancy to try new things, a reluctancy to... It's an age thing, though, isn't it? It's like from the 40 plus that you're not supposed to look well, and if she does, she's full of herself and this kind of thing. The younger generation, it's completely different. And mm. the aesthetic world for them is going to be the same as the beauty world was for us. Mm. Like, yes, we were able to wear lipstick and makeup and all those kind of things. But the younger generation have a list already of yeah. what they want to do, like the lips and all the bits. And they'll talk about that and they'll show it. But we're even finding, and I suppose it's one of the things why we wanted to have conversations like this, Ali. We need to take the taboo, lift the lid off it, let people start chatting about it. Like, instead of hiding, coming into the clinic here, we want people to come in and go back out and feel they look wonderful. They feel yeah. wonderful. It's, it's part of yes. female empowerment, yes. to be honest. It's yeah. not just yeah. being vain and, yes. you know, shallow. Yeah. It's yeah. actually, you, you feel better and you function better in mm. life when you are confident. Mm. And, I, and I think this is what makes me, like, I am a gynecologist, full-time obstetrician gynecologist, and I, um, I'm very proud of my career and background, but I love aesthetics. And I think the immediate effect that I and the thrill that I get from aesthetics, like, you know, there's nothing else like it of making a person, you know, come straight out of the door feeling confident and happy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a thrill for me, too. Are you finding trends here in Ireland about what women want done? I do think there's a trend towards more normal or no, more physiological or natural look now. Now, I think before things, and it's a worldwide thing, people like big, big lips, big, yeah. everything was big. Mm. I think now they're looking at more natural, less obvious work done. And that's most of my clients that are, are like that. They're professionals, they're at the peak of their careers, they don't want to be seen done. Doesn't want to be obvious. Yeah, don't yeah. want to be obvious. Yeah. The bum area, is that still a very popular area to focus on? Um, I think there's a, still a demand for it, I, although it is declining and people are going away from that. But then the surgical BBL is one of the most risky operations a woman can have in her life. Mm. And, uh, and more, the riskiest operation, I think, um, in aesthetics anyway. What makes it so risky? It's because there's blood vessels and you can get an embolus through that. You know, there's okay. the huge blood vessels there. Um, but we're talking here not about surgery. This yeah. is a medical aesthetics situation. Mm. So we do fill um, um, bums with, but with filler, with hyaluronic acid filler. Um, and that has a you have a lifespan, you know, year or whatever, and then it dissolves. You have to do it again. Yeah. Um, just like any filler. Can I ask then of the ladies here? Is it very horrible to ask what? Have you had anything done like it's this? It's not horrible to no? ask. It's a completely valid question. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think I've had done? Look at my face, Ali. I don't think you've really had anything done. I have, yeah. I have an eyebrow lift using anti wrinkle injections. Okay. I get it done about once every three months. It it stops me from having hooded eyes. So if I don't get my eyebrows lifted, they tend to fall down on top of my eyes, which right. means I can't wear eyeliner. I've also had a non-surgical rhinoplasty, cheek fillers and lip fillers. Wow. Yeah, yeah. What's been your favourite procedure to have um, done? I think the cheek fillers because my yeah. face is very thin naturally. You know, I'm, I'm quite low body fat. So yeah. if I do lose weight, my face tends to get quite gaunt, which ages me horrifically. So I do get dermal fillers 
um, in my cheeks and it just gives me kind of a more full look. Is any of it painful? No, not at all. I have a very high um, threshold for pain, so I don't use any numbing cream. I'm just right. like, wow. just get it done, do you're, it. You're hardy. Yeah, I'm yeah. hardy, yeah. The non-surgical um, rhinoplasty, I think, was life-changing. Yeah. What kind of procedure is that, then, when it's non-surgical? Yeah, so That's generally... going up today now. Yes, That's, I'm yeah. actually putting that content up today of, of my non-surgical rhinoplasty. So if you have bumps in your nose or imperfections or the tip of your nose is downturned, yeah. we just inject filler kind of a harder filler to just lift the tip of the nose and smooth out any imperfections. And it's instant. Like that, was that was amazing. That was amazing. life changing. B- yeah. Before and after. It yeah. was amazing. Even to sit and watch it. Yeah. And it didn't hurt. It was literally. Mm. We're very open here. We even said, you know, the stairs up to here. So mm. you've got the big long stairs. To us, this is the stairway to heaven. Like I go to the gym every morning. The gym is hard work and I come out and I feel good. But I don't feel as good as what I do when I actually sit in the anaesthetic or the aesthetic yeah. chair. And, you know, I've had Botox and I've had fillers and I'm quite OK telling people, same as having my nails done or whatever. If we don't put it out there and start normalising it, you know, it, it's, it's just it's, we're going to stay where we are. But we're at our happiest when we've had something done or if we're heading to get something done, we're at our happiest. Like we all work so hard for our money. We work so hard every day. We all have kids. So between us here, there's five, four, nine, ten kids between the three of us here. You know, so like the background is there behind us. Why shouldn't we look well at this stage in our life? Like, why shouldn't we get done? There might done be some women who done. think maybe I'm gone too old for, you know, this work that I should have done it maybe in my 30s when my skin was in good condition and I could maintain it from no, there. There's now no, in, no. Uh, no, there's no, nobody is old. Whatever, whenever you start, it's a good start. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're always going to benefit from it. And it just takes the years back, um, a few years back, you know, and you, it depends on your health, obviously. Um, but it will take, it will go a long way. Anything you do is going to go a long way from yeah. those orgasms, Dr. Manel. You can have them at any age. Of course you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, people are on second and third relationships now. Like, so that's a big deal as well. Like, yeah. Whereas that didn't happen years ago and people didn't talk about it. So if somebody is split or they're separated or divorced and they're moving on to a new man or a woman or whatever, and they're worried about something like this, well, like, it's good that they can actually, they know there's expert help there and they can go and find out what's there and yeah, that's sort true. out any issues that are there. That's a great piece. Uh, that's Ali speaking to uh, several of the people involved in Marito 8020 uh, in uh, Clonmel. I felt there was kind of a overhearing <laughs> conversation there. Uh, it sounded great. Um, how do you feel about that? 1800 Back to the um, women's soccer team uh, singing Ooh, uh, Up the Ra. Austin onto us from the UK and he says, imagine if the German soccer team were doing Hitler salutes uh, after they won a match and waving swastika flags. How might you feel? Uh, up the Ra means just that, up the IRA. Uh, the Germans might say, oh, we, we thought the swastika was a Hindu religious symbol. I'm sure Germans might like to own their own history too. A couple of things on that, Austin. Owning one's history doesn't mean that you agree and that you endorse everything that happened within that history. I mean, it is what it says, and it's owning your history, uh, warts and all. And I don't for a moment believe, and I can't possibly believe, that the girls in the dressing room singing Ooh, Ah, Up the Ra was by some way promoting or endorsing the actions of the IRA. In fact, I can guarantee you that that was not the case. It was an anthem that sung everywhere and anywhere. You hear it after nightclubs and all of that kind of things. Anyway, but but thank you, Austin, and good to hear from you today. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. 
The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Eddie was on to Emma and Eddie is looking for a miniature Jack Russell if anybody has one uh, to give to a good home for free, preferably, says uh, Eddie. And um, he'll take one up to 12 months old. He'd be happy to take one. And he's based in Boris Kane. And Emma has contact details if anybody wants to give uh, Eddie a dog. 1800-938-007. Time to talk about farming. Glad to be joined by Pat O'Toole, news reporter with the Farmers Journal. Pat, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. Some serious concerns around fertiliser availability, Pat. Yes, uh, on all sides of the equation. Um uh, farmers obviously concerned um, and you know uh, some farmers have bought some fertiliser for next year but they're buying them at a very high price mm. <clears throat> um, it's going to be hard to justify those prices in the long term with food prices where they are but uh, for instance you have uh, tillage farmers at the moment sowing winter crops and if you look at the forward price that they could get for their crop if they were to sell it now which is you know you have to base your um, business decisions are uh, on those forward prices mm, to some yeah. degree uh, they don't add up when you look at the cost of the fertiliser that they would have to buy now. It's past the can't put out fertiliser at this time of the year bar as, as straight P uh, or straight K but most farmers don't put out any fertiliser with winter crops until the spring when uh, when they're growing. So uh, it, it's for next year but it's for next year we need to worry. We need about a million tonnes of fertiliser. Half a million tonnes of that fertiliser needs to be landed on our shores by Christmas. The other half a million is needed to be brought in between January and March because the peak usage is in the first half of the year. And So uh, I suppose availability globally is an issue. Mm. Uh, gas prices are closely linked to the cost of the production of nitrogen fertiliser and uh, gas prices are still, although they've come back significantly, they're still very high, but a lot of fertiliser manufacturing plants are closed at the moment. So the volume that's being produced is as big an issue as the price it's being produced at. And the Irish Fertiliser Manufacturers and Blenders Association, they're the people who import the fertiliser into the country and then they put it into bags and then it turns up in merchants' yards for farmers to buy. So uh, they're saying that uh, they need help because fertiliser is so dear that the amount of money they need to have on hand and to borrow to to buy this half a million tonnes of fertiliser by Christmas and hold that for some months um, until it's sold, they can't afford to do that. So and they, they're looking for support then, Pat? Is, is that from the government or the EU they're looking for support from? What they're actually looking for, they're looking for support for farmers. So what they want is support for farmers so the farmers can buy the fertiliser uh, earlier than normal All right, okay. uh, and pay for it um, uh, which would that would then transfer the farmer pays the merchant the merchant pays the importer and everyone's covered so that's the proposal that they've put in place so I suppose what they're looking for is some kind of package to allow farmers to have the cash flow to buy this is not about grants or subsidies this is about having cash in hand 
in the system. There's, there's just not enough cash in the system to cover the cost of inputs. That's really what it's about. So yeah. the, the million tonnes, just to put in some context, this time last year, the average imported price landed at shore of uh, uh, nitrogen was €372 Euros a tonne. Um, now that has to be uh, unloaded, bagged and uh, and then transported to the merchant's yard and then from the merchant's yard bought by the farmer and everyone has to wait for their payment. Mm. But it was €372. Euros. Now we don't have the price at the moment but a €1,000 to back to €850 Euros a tonne, the indicative price will be probably €600. Euros. So an extra €250 Euros a tonne. So across a million tonnes, that's an extra €250 million Euros that's needed. So we're talking about astronomical figures of, uh, 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 you know, a quarter of a billion Euros extra needed just to cover the cost of bringing this stuff into the country. So I suppose the other side of that is a lot of farmers believe that the importers made a huge margin on some of the fertiliser they bought, bought last year. Mm. Because as I say, that, you know, at this time last year, the average price was €372 Euros a tonne for can. That that was sold to farmers at a multiple of that. Mm. Farmers were paying seven €800. Euros so money for, was for made. Product. Well, no one knows. Mm. Uh, but, but it would seem that significant money was made on some of the imported. It started to get expensive quite quickly last year. But... But farmers are asking that question. So there's a little bit of distrust within the supply chain. Um, and uh, I suppose those co-ops and merchants are caught in the middle. Uh, they say that they only take a small margin and pass on the, the product at whatever price they have had to pay for it. So who knows? But, but the reality, and I suppose this is the point that the importers are making, if there's not enough fertilizer, there won't be enough grass, there won't be enough crops, and there won't be enough... Uh, fodder next year for for our animals. There won't be enough grass through the summer months for, for the amount of animals we have in the country. Mm-hmm. So there's huge issues around sustainability here. There's huge issues around animal welfare. They're down the line, but the importers are right about one thing. We need to put a plan in place right now. Right, because this market is going to remain unpredictable, I suppose, for the foreseeable future, Pat. Um, what What is it about rewetting farmland as being a land grab? So that's a comment by um, the INHFA, the Irish Natura and Hill Farmers Association. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is, it's, it's certainly going to be very, very controversial, but there's an inevitability around this. So, uh, peatlands, um, people think of peatlands associated with turf cutting and bogs and wet yeah. land, but uh, there's a lot of peatland in Ireland which has been um, classified as peatland, you couldn't cut it for turf, but mm. there's peat in it, and it, it's, it's supposed black ground. You know, if you're driving by, you see a field turned over, and it's, it's very blackish. Yeah. That's, that's peat. Um, some of the most fertile land in Ireland is peatland. It's ideal for growing fruit and vegetables, um, and a, there's a lot of improved peatland, if you like, where it has been drained, and there's a network of drains to keep the water away, because peat uh, tends to hold water. Mm. And uh, so uh, it's not free draining, unlike, say, you know, sandy land or silty land. So uh, farmers have over generations and over the centuries have uh, drained peatlands and improved them. And it's very fertile land. But the EU is saying that this peatland is releasing huge volumes of methane. Mm. Now, at the moment, there are a lot of projects going on to establish just how much methane. But the assumed figure 
is nine euros, or sorry, nine tons uh, of CO2 equivalent per year. That's that's an awful lot. And the amount of CO2 being released by the 200,000 hectares of farmed peatland in Ireland exceeds the amount of uh, CO2 being trapped by the rest of our land base, even though it's regarded as being, to some degree, a carbon sink. So it's very significant in terms of uh, CO2 emissions, and there is no way we can get to our 2050 targets, uh, which is for carbon neutrality in farming, without addressing this issue. So there's no simple way around it. Uh, The problem is that when uh, heat is dry, it contracts, and uh, it expands when it's wet. The expanded peatland retains methane. The contracted dry peatland releases methane. So the proposals will include rewetting. Now, how much land is going to be rewetted? The EU's nature restoration laws propose that 70% of every member state's drained farmed peatlands has to be restored. Uh, And half of that, which would be 35%, which would be in the region of 70,000 hectares, has to be re-wet. Right, and so, people might be surprised to know, Pat, that the industrial peatlands, they, they only account for 20%. It's farmland that yeah. makes up the other 80%. I, that was I, a surprise to me. Yeah, I suppose, you see, what's classified as peatland is land that's predominantly peat. So yes. you have different classifications of land from sandy, loamy, um, peat, uh, uh, across to peatland. And uh, what's classified as peatland... Um, and what the public perception of peatland are two very different things yes. because it's about the level. You have to have a huge amount of peat in soil. It has to be essentially all peat for it to be turf land. Um, and I suppose that is uh, the the land that people think of as peat, but it's much broader than that. And it is some of the most fertile uh, land in the country. It's some of the most high output land in the country. Um, so it will be very emotive and it's literally just a land classification your land is either peatland or it isn't and if it is you're on, in the net for this issue and if it isn't you aren't and uh, that's very arbitrary and as a result it's going to be incredibly emotive uh, whatever is done in this regard will be hugely emotive it's like the lotto you know some yeah. people's numbers will come up and some won't if a road was put through um, and you know once a, a road uh, uh, the orientation of the road is, is decided and mm. the pathway of the road is decided. There's a, a compulsory purchase orders brought in and farmers have to give up their land to the road um, and not non, uh, who are, not just farmers, uh, it will course, affect yes. other people yeah. as well. And, you know, there's that process and there's compensation mm. in place and the compensation is a multiple of the value, the commercial value of the land because of the disruption yeah. and of the the fact that it's being done for the general good, society mm. rewards you for taking the hit for every for the common good. So the assumption would be that there'll have to be some kind of uh, purchase system. Will it be compulsory or will it be voluntary? Uh, will they hope to land, you know, a, a certain proportion of people uh, who will be willing to uh, hand over their lands for rewetting or to be active participants in the rewetting of land and? Can new uses, productive uses, yes. be found for wetted land? Uh, I don't know. I mean, one yeah. wag suggested at a meeting I was at that we could grow rice and turn them into paddy fields. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that's possible or not. But but it's nice yes. to think that someone's thinking out of the box, yes. you know, because we are going to need some imagination. That's, that's for sure. Pat, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, Pat O'Toole there at the Farmer's Journal. And the journal is on your shelves right now. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. 
Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Have you ever heard of cursing stones? Uh, did you know the last time the stones were turned on Inish Murray Island against Hitler, the Reich uh, fell? Or that the ill-fated HMS Wasp was lost when it tried to evict families from Tory uh, during the famine when islanders used the cursing stone there? Well, a lecture on Cursing Stones of Ireland is taking place on Friday, October 28th at 11am at Cashel Library and Maura Barrett from the library joins me. Now Maura, good morning to you. Good morning, Fan. And thanks very much for coming on to us today. You're giving this uh, lecture. Will you tell us about Cursing Stones? Are they pagan in origin? Yes. Um, cursing Stones, we probably know them better as Balan Stones. Um, I don't know if you... It's like a a stone that has a, a sort of a bowl-shaped depression in it mm. in which a kind of an egg-shaped stone would fit. Um, and we have, we have the highest concentration of them anywhere in the world, in Ireland. Wow. They can be found all across Europe, Russia, uh, Lithuania, even in the Americas. So um, they're very... They, they date back to Neolithic times, Um and they can be found mostly in Ireland on in ecclesiastical sites or at holy wells. Um, now, usually, the ecclesiastical sites had a sort of a pre-Christian use. You know, a lot of our mm. our older um, sort of older monasteries had a pre-Christian use. They were, would have been used something that was used by the Druids. So they're associated with Druidic rites. Um, so they they had a kind of two applications. One was to curse your enemies, and the other was to cure somebody. So a lot of a lot of these are still used. People, you know, they're known as wart wells, or um, people use them. They they were used to cure headaches or toothaches, that kind of thing. So they, there's a number of them around, but they they have quite powerful associations. Um, the the oldest sort of known record of them was um, Cormac McCarth, who who has associations, King Cormac one of the high, high kings of Ireland mm. um, from the 3rd century. Um, and he has casual associations as well. But he, um, the, the legend goes that, that King Cormac MacArthur had a strange birth and a strange death. And he was he was raised by wolves as a child in the caves of Kesh. Mm. And he was supposed to be able to, you know, talk to the wolves and he, you know, when he was discovered and made High King, he he brought wolves around with him and he was able to converse with them because he knew their language. But um, he, um, it is said that he was one of three people, um, this is way before St. Patrick or anybody, who had heard of Jesus Christ in Ireland. And he was aware of this knowledge. So he wasn't that impressed with the Druids. Um, and he, you know, he he knew that there was another way coming that was sweeping across Europe, and he, um, they they weren't having it. You know, there was a sort of a political to do, 
and the Druids were said to have cursed him. So they. they and what, what happened to him then? Oh, um, well, he he, yeah, he he had a he was you know the old tradition of high kings in Ireland. If you were injured or you had a, a scar, you couldn't be high king. Um, so or a blemish. So no. he. Um, he he didn't you know he didn't last very long, <laughs> and he had a strange death as well. Um, strange was his death, and strange was his his birth, his boyhood, and the death of this man. Right, um, he's very unorthodox. He choked on a fishbone. Fishbone, yeah, yeah, and then, oh you know, at the time, high kings would have been buried in Brunebonia in Newgrange, hmm. and he specifically wanted to be buried somewhere else. Interesting. We, we have cursing stones in Tipperary, do we not? That's right. Yeah. Um, we do. There, there's a, there, I mean, they're everywhere. But, you know, there's ones that are are better known, let's say. Um, there's some in um, Turin Pecan in, in, you know, in that there's a Holy Well site there, but there's also a church site near it. And there's a, a set of, of cursing stones there. Um, they're, they're known as the butter stones. Um, there's a sort of a little cell, a circular cell, and there's this little um, ballon with two stone, two depressions in it. So the, the thinking is that one was used for cursing and the other was used <laughs> for curing. Yes, very good. Was, was there a particular script that people used for the cursing? I mean, was, was there a special wording? Yeah, Every every site has different uh, different things, you know. And some there was one site, for example, in Kilmoon in County Clare, mm. that if you cursed someone, they would be left with a twisted face, you know. So they, every every site had a different thing that would happen. Yeah, you know, another site might maim you or limp you or you know make you lame or something. But they, there was the like. Every every site has different application, mm. and I, I I always say to people when I talk about them, there is no way on earth that you should ever go about doing it, um, even one way or the other, because apparently the the curses rebound on you oh. if you don't if right. you you know if they're not just and if you don't do them right. Maura, do you believe that some something like a stone can have that kind of uh, effect, that kind of uh, a vibe off it? Do do you think that's possible? Um, I don't know, Fran, is the short answer. Mm. Um, I know that there is this very ancient belief, you know, mm. in them. Um, and but do they have the, an energy about them or something? So, you know? uh, certainly, I believe that. that yeah. Certain stones do have energies about them and certain places do, you know. I mean, yeah. I know the, the one in um, the, where the HMS Wasp was lost um, on Tory Island, that, you know, that there is a fault line there under the ground, you know, and that there there is... And I, I suppose, I guess, if you live in a very isolated community off the coast in the middle of the Atlantic, you know, you're going to put your fate in these ancient things. Like in mm. Ontario Island, they have, like, a place where you make a wish. And then on the other side, one is at the east of the island and the other is at the west of the island, one with the rising sun, one with the setting sun. And you make a wish and your wish comes true. If you manage to, you have to climb up on a certain sort of, there's a, a sort of a sea stacky type uh, tower mm. and you have to get your stone up on that. And then on Tory, the other one, it's at an ecclesiastical site on the east of the island and mm. that um, is where you would curse people. And I mean, I was, I was watching even a programme lately on TG Cahar about... Um, 
the Islanders and Tory were looking for a new vessel to to bring them in and out, mm. you know, to the mainland. Yes. And they weren't happy with how they were being dealt with. And one of the things that they were considering was turning the stones to to make their wish come true. You know? and, and is that physically turning the stones? Yeah, there, okay. there is a ritual involved now. There's a ritual involved. All of the this, this places have different rituals. You know, it involves fasting. It has to be done at a certain phase in the moon. The tone, the, the stones are turned a certain way. You know, um, and it's it's very similar to people do the the you know they do the rounds of the well. Of course, you know, yeah, but it sounds yeah. much more Judic and um, pagan, doesn't it? It sounds very. But even the rounds of the well comes from that originally. Of course, it does. You know, yes, yeah, yes. like sacred wells became holy wells. You know, yes. the, all all the old Irish saints would originally have been druids. You know, yeah, and the tying the rags yeah. on the trees and all the all various of that. lovely yeah. traditions as well. Yeah, and it's there. just what they sort of carried along, you know, and one, one sort of tradition became superimposed upon the other. And the belief is still there, you know, um, I guess just the yeah. people, the, the gods they pray to are different. Maybe. Sure, it's, it's yeah. in our core, I suppose. Uh, there, there's examples, I know, in the Glen of Arlo, you were saying as well, uh, St. Pecans, uh, which is just outside Saint, of Care there at the well. St. Pecans, yeah. yeah, and in Berhart's Kyle as well. I don't know if you're familiar with Berhart's Kyle. I'm not, I don't think the so. Glen of Beautiful, beautiful site. So worth a visit. Um, right. It's you know the old Kyles where where unbaptized children would have been laid to rest. Um, but Berhart was was a much older. He he was a, a saintly man who came from across from the UK, um, mm. and he has a few sites dedicated to him. But he had a, a cell there. You know this was fourth fifth century. You know just just bef- just as Christianity was arriving in Ireland, really. Um, mm. And you know, there's there's a lovely well there, but there is this lovely sort of oval shaped um, place where there's lots of stones with crosses and stuff, and there is a, a curing stone or a cursing stone That's in there. So the listener wants to know: Do you know anything about hag stones? I have a few out yeah, in my back. I can yeah. see see right through it. It says, "Yeah, hag stones. Yes, hag stones are." These are stones that you would find on the beach that have had a, a hole worn through them. Mm. And they, you know, they have are said to have quite powerful magic as well. Mm. They're hag stones, yeah. So they used to be hung in buildings to protect against fire and sometimes people wear them around their neck. They're, they, they, there's accounts of them being protected from lawsuits, all that kind of stuff. You know, they're, you know, all the I, old I could do yes. with those more, I can yes. tell um, So tell me, it's happening on the 28th. Is it in the library it's happening? It's in the library, yeah, right. at 11 o'clock, 11 on, o'clock in the morning, on the morning yeah. of the 28th. Mm-hmm. So it's our Halloween thing. And in the afternoon we have... Um, a story time at half three for for children before they break up for school. Oh, so, very good. Do you have the yeah. book or can you just turn it? Yeah, up? please do because we just need to know for numbers because yes. we book out very fast for things here and we have, you know, we only have so many spaces so please just... And, and how can you book more? Just call us 062 63825. 63825. Okay. For either event. 
Yeah. All right, Maura. And, all... and we're delighted to see oh, you. Always we'll good to talk to you, Maura. Thank you very Likewise, much indeed. Ben. Look, look after you. yourself and thank you. Cool. Bye-bye, Jenna. Maura Barrett there from Cashel Library and uh, the Cursing Stones. That's it uh, from me. Thanks to uh, Emma who produced and thanks to uh, Ellie who looks after her content. Huge amount of text into us today, so thank you for that. We'll talk to you tomorrow and uh, don't forget that... Uh, uh, Owen is on the way setting in for Stephen and they're live from the opening of Yisk that's uh, J-Y-S-K in uh, Clanmel a brand new store brand new business in the town so we want to wish them the very very best indeed look after yourselves bye bye Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Puck On you can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Saving all